this is amazing. Did you watch the TV, the new superhero guy? How cool is that? He's got a cape. Yeah, capes rock. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. Does anyone have any idea who this crusader is? Superhero never reveals his true identity. With no power comes no responsibility. Welcome to Now Playing's Marvel Misfits Retrospective Series. Oh my god, it defies all the laws of nature. Part of the Now Playing Marvel Comic Movie Series. Good call, baby doll. Join Stuart. God, I wish I had a son like you. Jacob. Everyone would definitely fuck his brains out if I got the chance. And Arnie. Where do they get a load of me? As they review the Marvel Misfits Howard the Duck... This is obviously no place for an intelligent, sensitive duck. Man-Thing. Oh, yeah, that's a man right, huh? It's the Man-Thing, man! And Kick-Ass. He should call himself Ass-Kick instead. <laughs> Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new installment in this series. And keep coming back as we continue looking at all the Marvel comic book movie adaptations. X-Men, Fantastic Four. You guys never saw One Night in Spider-Man? These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers and may have foul language. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, you cunts. Let's see what you can do now. Today we're talking about Howard the Duck, starring Leah Thompson, Jeffrey Jones, David Paymer, Tim Robbins, and directed by William Hyatt. I am not Arnie anymore. Don't you mean uh, William Hyduck? This is Stuart in L.A. And this is Jacob. If I sound a little off, it's because I'm a little bit under the weather. Did I get bird flu from this film? This foul <laughs> film? How many bad bird puns can we work into this podcast? Not as many as worked into the movie. Hey, you think the movie was bad? You should try the book. Oh, jeez. We'll get to it all. Why are we doing Howard the Duck, Arnie? Just curious. Not that I don't relish any occasion to return <laughs> to the treasure. Why are we here? How is this the greatest series now playing has ever tackled? It truly is going to be our largest series ever. It's going to span about 15 months on and off. It's not going to be an every week series, but it's going to be a lot of weeks. Oh, I think I just <laughs> laid an egg. All right. <laughs> Please tell me, Mastermind, what is this? Well, in addition to being one of my childhood favorite films, this is the first Marvel Comics original character to make its way onto the big screen. And with Marvel Comics dominating the box office last year, Iron Man 2, this year, coming soon, Thor and Captain America, all leading to the biggest superhero crossover of all time, the Avengers next year. I felt we should do a Marvel crossover of our own and take a look at all the Marvel comic book movies. Wow. And so we're starting with this Marvel Misfits series, which is the ones that you kind of don't immediately think of when you think Spider-Man, Iron Man, X-Men, Howard the Duck. The flops, you mean. Basically, <laughs> the ones that they'll never make another one of. We're proud of all of our characters and make endless sequels to them, except these. And I guarantee at some point there will be a Howard the Duck remake. Mark mm. my words. And okay. now playing will be there. <laughs> we will be. <laughs> okay. So this is, yes, the kickoff of the largest series ever because it is, again, it is noted for being the first Marvel Comics 
character to get the big screen treatment. Of course. No, wait a minute. That's amazing. You're telling me that Hulk and Spider-Man and all of those guys and and Howard the Duck beat them all to the punch? Well, you could, you could thank a couple of things for that. First of all, superheroes were so big on television in the 70s, that's where you put Captain America and Spider-Man and the Hulk were all on CBS. It was basically the superhero network with Linda Carter as Wonder Woman. Mm. And then there were some rights issues that prevented them getting to the big screen during the heyday in the 80s of Superman and Batman. It was merely fighting over who owned the characters and a lot of lawsuits. And George Lucas was a fan of Howard the Duck. And George Lucas had a little bit of clout after Return of the Jedi. Having just watched this movie, I don't think he was that much of a fan. Yeah, let's save that. Please continue. Howard the Duck has had a huge number of fans. I mean, in pop culture, it was referenced in Stephen King's original The Stand. And then in the 90s remake, he replaced it with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But Howard the Duck was this cultish comic. And Jacob, you could speak to this more than I can, but Howard had his following and George Lucas put it on the slate for when he was transitioning more into the producer of other non-Star Wars films phase of his life, Howard the Duck was first up bat. Wait, I mean, did yeah. he have a phase that wasn't Star Wars? From 83 till 99, we have Radioland Murders. He didn't make that, though. Willow, Howard oh, the Duck. Willow! Oh! I have to say that I could kind of see why Lucas jumped onto this property. I mean, in the 70s, in, in comic book world, you really... You saw a shift from the traditional superhero. You had American Splendor by Harvey P. Carr, which was an autobiographical comic about a file clerk. I mean, it was the furthest thing you could do from superheroes. You had Cerebus, which was a, a cult classic about an, it started off as kind of a Conan the Barbarian parody about an aardvark. But uh, Dave Sim, the writer and artist, he really wanted to go, okay, in comic book land, people never die. I'm going to do this for 300 issues and it's going to end with the death of my character. And you had Steve Gerber coming up with Howard the Duck in the 70s. So in, in the 70s, you really did see this counterculture movement with comics and, and moving away from the traditional superhero. So I could see why he might have jumped onto this property. And that seems like a good lead in with now playing we always try to have the three different perspectives and my perspective is of a comic book movie fan in addition to horror my two genres are horror and superheroes basically i mean not just superheroes graphic novels if we're talking a history of violence road to perdition superman batman or howard the duck i am there but i'm not a huge comic guy. I read a few. I read quite a few back in high school, but really I'm more into their multimedia adaptations. If I'm going to read, I prefer to read other stuff. I find 500 issues of Spider-Man to be a daunting challenge. So I am coming to this as a big superhero fan, but mostly from the cartoons and also from the action figures. I have another podcast called Marvelicious Toys, which you can find at MarveliciousToys.com, where Marjorie, I, and Justin, another friend of ours, are reviewing the Marvel action figures and statues and collectibles and video games. It's that kind of stuff that I'm into. So that's the perspective I'm bringing to this series. And I guess, you know, I talked about it on Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. I, I'm the comic book geek. I love comic books. And it's interesting. I'll probably get th into this deeper if we ever do a Batman retrospective. But those Tim Burton Batman films, 
are what got me into comic books and, and that kind of love for comic books took over my love for comic book movies though i do watch just about any movie based on a comic book property if it's out there just because i'm curious the thing i love about comic books is that really anything could take place in them they're just absurd and big and loud you know, it's a visual medium and so are movies. And I love to see that translated onto the big screen. And I think really one of the things that I really liked about Avatar for all its faults, I think it's really the first movie that really took what's special about comics and put it on the big screen. Just the, the, the colors and, and the action and all that, just the imagination as far as the action scenes go, not some of the more rote storytelling parts of that film. But I, I love comics. I mean, I, I buy comics every week. I read them all the time. I got about five or six bookshelves full of graphic novels and then boxes and boxes of comics. So, I, I mean, I read just about anything, DC, Marvel, independent stuff. So I, I guess, Arnie, where, while you really love the, the multimedia part of comic books and superheroes, I, I really kind of just love the whole culture of comic books. And that translates over into the multimedia world. So, Stuart, why are you here? <laughs> because you made me um no you know i'm of two minds with comic books i did have a comic book collecting phase but i want to make a very clear distinction i think i like graphic novels i don't like superheroes i've never collected superhero comics i don't know the first thing really about them i've seen a few of the movies but not a lot i'm gonna call you out you collected iron man for at least two weeks it was two weeks until I actually read them. I thought the suit was cool. That's true. But I did collect comics. You know, I loved Akira, Metropole, Love and Rockets, all sort of the alternative ones. Eight Ball. Aliens versus Predator was one of your favorites. Aliens. Perfect example. Anything Aliens I collected and, and the comic books. The first couple of series of Dark Horse were pretty cool. So I'm a fan of graphic novels, but most of these movies we're talking about, all of these movies we're talking about, are not actually animated. These are live-action adaptations of, by and large, superheroes. So I guess I would say I'm a newbie and a skeptic on whether this series is for me. But that's where I'm coming from, and, and hopefully I can just, as a movie fan, learn to appreciate at least some of them. And I do want to say, yes, you are going to be the newbie, which is very rare for you on any series here at Now Playing, because a lot of these movies that I consider everyone has seen this, like Spider-Man 2. Yeah. You've never seen. I saw the first Spider-Man once, and I have not seen any of the others. I, You know, I'm a huge Christopher Nolan fan. So all those Batman films I know and love, well, both of them. And I saw the first couple X-Men movies. Not a lot of other things are coming to mind. If I saw them, I repressed them. <laughs> but I did see Howard the Duck back in the day. I saw it on video. Oh, I saw it in theaters multiple times. Multiple times? Wow. I've got some stories to tell. I, I, too, saw the theatrical release. I remember begging my parents to take me. They had some reservations. I, I think I was like nine at the time. And we'll probably talk about some of those reservations they might have. But I'm like, dude, it's George Lucas. It's Mr. Star Wars doing like this crazy duck film. I totally wanted to see that when I was a kid. I was in the same boat. I was a huge Star Wars fan. And when Howard the Duck was being promoted and released, I was 11. And we were... Three years off Return of the Jedi, and I remember being at our local theater and seeing this weird light-up standee of an egg with a cigar and thinking, well, that looks utterly uninteresting, until I saw it was from George Lucas. Now, 
George Lucas and Steven Spielberg afterward are the only people I knew from movie making as far as it went. I didn't know anyone else, despite being a big Superman fan. I didn't know Richard Donner. I didn't know anybody behind the scenes except George Lucas. And with George Lucas's name on the standee, not only was I going to see it, I was going to freaking love it. And I I knew that going in. And so I saw it and with the lack of judgment afforded to an 11-year-old, I did love it. Why? Because I went in knowing I was going to. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this was a pretty crowded summer when it came out, though. I think the reason I didn't go to it, it was just other things to see, including sequels to two of my favorite movies, Poltergeist 2 and Alien. So I just think it got lost in the shuffle. I did eventually see it on video, but it never really made much of an impression for me. I'm, I'm seeing this movie for the first time in 25 years. I'm not. I have not only did I go to theaters multiple times to see this movie, I then owned a VHS copy taped off HBO or something that I watched until it wore out. And then the day Howard the Duck came out on DVD, after years of me lamenting it not being out on DVD, because it just came out a couple years ago. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, they'll never release it. It's second only to the holiday special of things George Lucas wants to bury. They came out with a freaking special edition DVD with a bunch of behind the scenes stuff. And I had it the day it was released and watched it that day. And this is my second time watching that DVD. Yeah, my wife bought this the day it came out. She has this like love for it, seeing it as a kid. And she bought it the day it came out on DVD. She had to go. She went to Best Buy and had to ask because they hadn't put it out on the shelf. <laughs> they didn't expect anyone to want a day of release. And she had to go <laughs> ask, hey, did you guys get Howard the Duck in? And she bought it. And this is the first time I sat down and watched it since I originally saw it in the theaters. Well, it's only the biggest bomb of all time until Ishtar. I mean, why wouldn't everyone be clamoring for a copy? It's got a huge cult following, though. I mean, it's got, I think, four stars on Amazon now. So it's aged better than a lot of films, I think. And it was put out on DVD because the fans demanded it. You know, it was something that people were wanting, including myself. I think it was heavily bootlegged at these conventions where... Some of the movies we'll be reviewing as part of our Marvel comic retrospective are movies you can only get at some of these conventions on some of the shadier dealer tables. <laughs> well, you make it sound like it's drugs or something. <laughs> I think drugs would be better than Generation X, but we'll see when we get there. I'd rather just do X than Generation X. I don't know what that means. I'm scared. Just <laughs> but- say no. <laughs> Just say no to Generation X. I like that. <laughs> to, to everything. Oh, God. I, you know what? I am legitimately concerned that I'm not going to live through the end of this series. <laughs> I really hope that there are some movie lovers here and not just superhero comic people behind the camera. But to that, look at some of the people who we're going to be looking at. I'll give some props early on to Sam Raimi, one of my favorite directors. Uh... We also have uh, Brett Ratner. <laughs> Brian Singer made uh, Usual Suspects. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Okay. Uh, We got whoever made the Fantastic Four movies. (laughs) (laughs) Tim Story, the guy who made the Barbershop films. Sure. So, I mean, there's some movie lovers here. And John Favreau. Who made? Iron Man. Iron Iron Man Man 2. No, no, no. Who made what? That isn't a comic book. I know him as an actor from Swingers, but what did he direct? Zathura, right? Zathura, which I've not seen, but I hear is loved. Elf. A movie that my wife watches approximately 20 times every December. Oh, I have not seen either. Made, which actually isn't very good. 
<laughs> we also have Kenneth Branagh coming up with Thor. Yeah. And I'm a huge Kenneth Branagh fan. I, I know that it, it's going to be head-scratching for our listeners, but I cannot get enough of watching Much Ado About Nothing, and Keanu's performance there is comedic gold. Okay. <laughs> Stuart, I, I hear a lot of hesitation in your <laughs> Just read the damn plot summary, and I'll put my tears in a big jar. All right. Howard the Duck is your basic duck-out-of-water story. Howard is your average anthropomorphic duck living a quiet life on Duck World when med school didn't work out and his rock band Howard and the Heartbreakers didn't propel him to the top of the billboard charts. He became an ad copy waddler. But one day after work, sipping a beer and browsing a play duck centerfold, a laser beam hits Howard's lazy duck recliner and sucks him into space across galaxies to land at a lazy boy recliner in a dirty alley in Cleveland, Ohio. After numerous run-ins with punk rockers, a club bouncer, an all-girl motorcycle gang, and other Cleveland dangers, Howard ducks back into the alley where he meets Beverly, lead singer of the rock group Cherry Bomb, that has been relegated to playing a dingy club due to having a terrible manager. Howard saves Beverly's tail feather from a couple of rapists through use of his quack poo. (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry, please go on. This is great. And in return, Beverly waddles the duck to her apartment and allows him to stay and roost. She introduces him to Phil Blumberg, the boyfriend of Cherry Bomb's guitarist and wannabe scientist. Despite his position as a lab assistant, Phil starts to research the mystery of how Howard arrived on Earth. Howard has numerous quacky adventures in an attempt to assimilate, such as the employment office and taking a job at a local bathhouse, but eventually returns to the bar where he fights Cherry Bomb's crooked manager Ginger, getting the money Ginger owes the girls and releasing them from their unfair conquact. (laughs) (laughs) Jacob, do you want to finish up? I worked hard on this. Yeah, I can see that you spent decades in the making. You weren't (laughs) kidding about seeing it 20 times in the theater. (laughs) That night, back at Beverly's, it appears Howard and Beverly's relationship will be consummated when they are quackness interrupted. (laughs) That one's a slow burn. It takes a while. Oh, oh, yes. That's the one I'm proudest of, actually. Uh, you should, and as well you should, sir. May you go on to write more for Lucas. When they are quackness interrupted by Philzy and his friend Carter and Dr. Jenning, both researchers at Aerodyne who were working on a laser spectroscope. Some unknown force changed its aim, and that laser is what flew Howard to Earth. Carter and Jenning hypothesize that they can send Howard back and create an ongoing link with Duck World. But when they try, the laser again realigns itself and this time brings down another alien, a dark overlord, a demon from the nexus of Sonibus. This resulted in a large lab explosion, and when the police arrive and find Howard, they arrest him as an illegal alien. With Beverly's help, Howard escapes, and with Dr. Jenning, the three flee Aerodyne, but Jenning is being taken over from the inside by the Dark Overlord, who needs to gestate in a human body before revealing its true form. The Overlord reveals his plan to bring more Dark Overlords from the Nexus and take over Earth. With powers of telekinesis, pyrokinesis, and able to shoot lasers from his hands, the Overlord kidnaps Beverly to be host to another Overlord and returns to Aerodyne with a brief stop at a nuclear power plant to absorb its energy. Howard and Phil, who was also arrested for reasons involving the explosion, high quack and ultralight aircraft and evade police pursuit on their way to Aerodyne, disrupting some duck hunters along the way. At the lab, 
Phil gives Howard the experimental neutron disintegrator laser, and Howard goes toe-to-web-toe with the Dark Overlord. The disintegrator laser separates the Overlord from Jennings' body, and we see the Overlord to be a 20-foot-tall crab, scorpion, rancor-type creature who can still speak English. The battle continues, and Howard first shoots the Dark Overlord, killing him, then shoots the laser just in time to repel three more Dark Overlords that were on their way, ending any chance for a return to Duck World in the process. Now, trapped in a world he never made, Howard takes a role as Cherry Bomb's manager and Beverly's boyfriend, and we see them playing to a huge audience as Filzy handles the pyrotechnics. And we leave it there for the sequel that was also (laughs) never made. Wow, I gotta say, I actually learned things uh, by listening to your plot summary. Things that I did not get watching this movie then or now. Uh, wow, thank you. Thank you for that. Well, you know, having watched this film probably in the triple digits of times, I, I can... can you like quote it? Could yes. you like recite along with it? Sadly, I do quote it quite regularly. Well, that is sad. There are mm. certain quotes in it that I just find myself going back to again and again it's a bird it's a plane it's a duck (laughs) yeah that's great you know what else i found very funny was what's wrong jock itch again it's just oh it's just it's eminently quotable wow okay so that is the plot summary now i have seen this movie one might say too often, much like I did back with the Nightmare on Elm Street films, I, I have kind of a personal story I'd like to share about Howard the Duck, if I can indulge. <laughs> oh, by all means. Stuart knows this story, so he's actually prodding me to do it behind the scenes. When I was an undergraduate in college, specifically freshman year, I think I went through like eight different majors, one of which was psychology. I went through a whole bunch of extra credit because I actually wasn't doing so well in psychology classes, subjected myself to a number of studies. I had to go through, answer some questions. One of them was a the Rorschach inkblot test. I'm sure everyone who's seen Watchmen knows what a Rorschach test is at this point. Sure. They're showing me these blots. And it's like, it's a woman. It's a car. It's the Dark Overlord. <laughs> <laughs> and you got put on a list and was never invited back to any more tests. And was promptly dropped from the psychiatric major entirely. Are you kidding me? It, it was the first thing out of my mouth because I looked at it and I saw the Dark Overlord as it was coming in on the laser in that last shot. And then I realized what I said and I think that they probably thought I meant Satan. Yeah, no, yeah, de- definitely they were sitting there thinking that this is a crazy guy that is into some kind of black occult arts and we need to not invite him to the program because yeah i mean most people would just say the devil when you said the dark overlord it sounds a little reverential (laughs) it definitely sounds like yeah you're you're on a different level Uh, and so i tried to explain that it was a character from a movie i'm like wait wait i need to tell you something about nope you have must answer the next one no more words right so i was never able to tell them it was from howard the duck do you think that would defend yourself? And that's what's so good about it. Do you actually think that if you clarified that the Dark Overlord was the villain in Howard the Duck, that that wouldn't mean you looked like a complete imbecile thinking that a Rorschach blot was that? And it was in 1992, so it wasn't like this movie was fresh in my or It was fresh in my mind, but it's not like it should have been fresh in my mind. It wow. should not have been a go-to reference six years after its release (laughs) wow but i would have rather had them think i have really crappy taste in movies than to think that i'm a satanist 
<laughs> Why can't you be both, really? But anyway, I, I think it all worked out, but that is hilarious, Arnie. And I, I have a second story. This movie actually stopped me from seeing Karate Kid Part 2 a second time because I was also big into novelizations, as anyone who listens to books and nachos knows. And on my second trip to see Karate Kid Part 2 in theaters... I went to pick up the Howard the Duck novelization and lost it somewhere in the mall between the bookstore and the movie theater. Thus, my friends and I had to leave the movie midway to try to find the book, which, of course, we never did. And so I had to buy a second copy. I actually bought a third copy to relive that novelization experience for this podcast. And, wow, it's it's terrible. Uh, is that going to be posted on Books and Nachos, Arnie? I, I'd love to hear it. I, I'd absolutely love to hear how the book is better than the movie. I have no doubt that it is. You know, I'm not going to sully Books and Nachos with this. Books and Nachos, we, tr- we try to review books that could be good over there. But since I had to suffer through reading this book, I am reviewing it over on Marvelicious Toys. So <laughs> I, I just don't feel like the Books and Nachos audience wants this, though. <laughs> yes, the Books and Nachos is, is catering to literate people who like junk food. This is for people that just like to laugh at bad writing, right? <laughs> I, I'll, I'll preview my last line. The worst novel I've ever seen professionally published. The worst, hands down. Well, I can't wait to hear it. I'm glad I don't have to read it. I, yeah. <laughs> better better you than me, sir. Back it up just a little bit as a comic book character, because I got questions. <laughs> and I've got to believe, Jacob, and you please confirm that the Howard the Duck that I am looking at on screen now bears little to no resemblance to the one that is beloved in the cult figure. That is correct. This is the post-Disney threatening to sue Marvel, Howard the Duck. The original appearance of Howard the Duck, he looked much more like Donald Duck. He didn't have pants. And, Hmm. you know, it was a surly duck walking around with no pants. And Disney, I guess they wanted a monopoly on that type of character. (laughs) And and so... What about Daffy? He doesn't wear any clothes at all. (laughs) Yeah, Howard still wore a coat and a hat and a cigar. So he was more like Donald. He didn't have the sailor suit. But no, so Marvel's response was to put him in pants, oddly enough. And those pants weren't flattering to his duck ass. <laughs> no, there, there's actually a series uh, years later, I believe in the 90s, it was, it was done by Marvel Max, which is like the R-rated Marvel comics. And they did a Howard the Duck miniseries. Steve Gerber did it. And the first issue was actually a mouse dressed as Howard the Duck kind of, to, you know. Give a jab oh, back to Disney, you know, with Mickey Mouse and that. But no, this this appearance, this is post Disney threatening to sue him, Howard the Duck. I almost, you know, of course, my go to reference when you, you say animated comic book duck would be Donald or Daffy. Was this supposed to be a parody of that character? I mean, was Disney right to be indignant about it? I don't think. I mean, I've read the original Gerber run of Howard the Duck and. I, I'll be honest, I don't get what the big deal was with it. I didn't enjoy it very much. I had to force myself to finish it. You know, he wants to treat Howard as a real character. He's not a cartoon. He just comes from this alternate dimension where people are ducks instead of people. And, okay, and so, so there is a Washington D.C. and there is a <laughs> Duck World. You don't really ever see Duck World. I mean, you get a few references here and there. Nowhere nearly, you know, you, don't, you never get to see your play duck or any duck titties like you do at the beginning oh of this. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, but the way the comic was written, it started off as this very weird evil wizard transports Howard to a the wizard. Everglades. A wizard. 
transfers him to the Everglades where he hangs out with Man-Thing, which is our next misfit is Man-Thing. So it fits very well. In okay, that. I can only process one bad idea at a time. <laughs> Stay with me. Go well, on. Howard the Duck premiered in Man-Thing. Yeah, and he had these weird adventures with like Man-Thing and a barbarian and like a Red Sonia type <laughs> character. <laughs> I Basically, mean, we can blame the 60s for this. But eventually he gets sucked through this dimensional portal thing and it ends up in Cleveland, Ohio. And, you know, he fights like a vampire cow and a <laughs> cannibal gingerbread man and he runs for president as a member of the all night party get it ha ha it's just <laughs> that's actually funny <laughs> i i well someone thought so i guess you're that person Arnie. <laughs> <laughs> so howard the duck was never good is what you're telling me he just this was a bad idea made worse and more expensive by lucas i you know I guess I just have a hard time reading it in the context of the 70s where you didn't have a lot of superhero parodies. This was one of the first. And so I think if you grew up at that time reading it, it, it was really different. You know, myself, I got into comics, you know, in the 80s and 90s. And, you know, there was a lot of parodies at that point. And even today, there's a lot of parodies. So it it just doesn't seem as special to me because I can't read it with that historical perspective. Now, I've read, you know... They've done some miniseries of Howard the Duck um, over the last few years, and they just weren't very good. Uh, I got to say, the best appearance I've read of him lately is when it was Army of Darkness versus Marvel Zombies, and you get a zombie version of Howard um, eating the Punisher I, I, <laughs> and Ash um, from Army of Darkness. I think that's the most I've enjoyed Howard the Duck in a comic book. You know, he's got a huge cult following. I think it's people that grew up in the 70s, and that seemed really different at the time. For me, it just came off as real cheesy and just kind of boring. I mean, it's you not know what a this sounds like to me. If I went into my refrigerator right now and took everything and mixed it into a bowl and ate it, that sounds like the Marvel Universe. How do these things even combine and come together? How does Man Thing and Howard the Duck hang out with superheroes in a wizard? Evil wizards. I I, <laughs> and I guess you, you spoke about the Avengers movie. We're all leading up to the whole idea of how different characters can all exist on the same screen. But I, I got to say, it's challenging my aesthetic. I don't know how you can have so many different types. I mean, I didn't see Howard the Duck as a parody of anything, really, other than maybe a Disney character. And if so, not a very astute or scabrous one. I mean, it, it's just sort of... A duck without pants. I mean, I, beyond that, I don't know how Disney could be offended. Well, maybe with Disney buying Marvel, maybe Howard will be able to go pantless again. Oh, well, that does bring up an interesting conundrum. Or maybe he will never be seen again. Or maybe he'll be in the Avengers. Maybe he'll come out of left field. <laughs> that, will be, that will be the teaser after the credits. And they are shooting some scenes in the Avengers in Cleveland. All right, well... Shall we get to the movie itself? Sure. We must. We start off on Duck World. And wow, just so many duck puns. We got Breeders of the Lost Ark. Stork. Lost Stork. Oh, it was the Lost Stork. Yes, a double pun. It's Indiana Drake and the Breeders of the Lost Stork. Which is wow, a joke I would put. Was the most about <laughs> <laughs> because I froze the frame and I wanted to see if there was an end joke I wasn't getting. Like there was something deeper that I'm like, oh, you just need to look harder. This is the kind of joke writing, like when you were in second grade and you bought a like a book about jokes. Like this is 
I think I had this book. It was like Pac-Man. Pac-Man had just come out, and like every joke was about Pac-Man. This is what <laughs> this is what I'm getting out of this movie. I mean, they're puns. It's the lowest form of humor, and, mm. and they run with it. <laughs> yes, yeah, they really do. I started making a list with during the movie. And I gave up. There were too many. And I want to just say, in defense of the pun, because I think this is actually a lower form of humor than the pun, that some of these aren't puns at all. Like when he opens up a music magazine and it's called Rolling Egg instead of Rolling Stone. That's not a pun. That's desperate. That is just bad joke writing. They threw everything at the wall. Some of it worked. Some of it didn't. I got a giggle out of Splash Dance. Because it's like Flash Dance? Yeah, it had the duck with the silhouette. I, okay. I, you know, a lot of things splash, not just ducks, but whatever. I didn't think that was particularly clever. That's what bugged me. He reads the postcard and it says flying home soon. But these ducks don't fly. It it bugs me. (laughs) You know, stick to your own logic. You know, you want to do bad bird puns. That's one thing. But don't say they could fly and then they can't fly. I'll say this much. This beginning set me up for something that I did not get really anywhere else in the movie. Did anyone else get the vibe of an old film noir like a detective thing from the setup there's like sax music and we see a shot of the city and there's two moons and he strolls in and and i thought we were being told that this was a private detective duck is there any example anywhere in the comics or anywhere that anyone knows about where that is the story of howard the duck why did they do that that's just a, a gag that they did and threw away i got that vibe too But I think it's a mixture of the composer just using a sax and the fact that they're teasing us with the duck. So you see the silhouettes and you see all this other stuff. And the two combined give it the noir feel. But I I, I actually think it might be accidental. Because if you walk into a movie called Howard the Duck, you don't actually expect to see a duck in the movie. (laughs) I I didn't expect, yeah, I didn't expect to see dogs or anything like that. I was pretty much expecting a duck. They didn't have to (laughs) tease it. No, I got to say it was a false floor right from the beginning. It fell out from under me because I was like, oh, it's kind of like a, a fun old detective story. And we all know Lucas likes old things. You know, Star Wars is a throwback to the Flash Gordon kind of serials. And I figured Howard the Duck was some kind of weird parody of a Bogart movie. But that idea got thrown out real fast. Yeah, it's left on Duck World. Maybe you can yeah. imagine Duck World to be this noirish environment. And perhaps it was for as long as we were there. Why did we leave? If you invented a whole planet of ducks, why do you instantly remove said duck from the planet and never go back? It's a duck out of water story. Arnie said that in his summary. And I watched <laughs> all the special features on this. And one of the things is the director... He was a writer-director. He also was a long-term companion of Lucas. He helped write the original American Graffiti. He didn't want to show Duck World at all. He wanted to do what they said the comic did, which is it just starts with the ducks on Earth and go from there. But apparently people above him, possibly Lucas, whoever it was, wasn't named, felt like American audiences needed to see it. They were, We need a very literal story, so it was forced upon them to start at Duck World. We, we wouldn't have bought the story of a talking duck unless we saw Duck World. Is that the thinking? 
Yeah, because when I see this duck in this world, I go, ah, yes. The it reality sets. sinks in for me. I've got to say, in the 25 years since watching it now and then, there is only one image, one entire image that has burned into my retina that I have never been able to forget. Is it duck titty? I knew this movie had a, di- a duck titty shot in it. But when he finally gets pulled through the walls by the magical ray in his chair, we get sort of a Benny Hill joke with the woman in the bathtub who is. And then I'm like, oh, yes, this is what I have been trying to repress all these years. Now, <laughs> Stuart, I'm with you because that is one of the scenes <laughs> that has always been burned in my mind. With our, like I said, I saw it at nine at nine. It's hard to come by that kind of stuff. If they're on a duck, they're on a duck. You take what you could get. <laughs> hey, I was 11 and I was right there with you, Jacob. It was <laughs> it was boobs. I was happy. I was 11. It, no, 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 no. This is upsetting <laughs> in ways that are hard to articulate. And maybe it has something to do with the fact that ducks don't lactate. Yes. I don't know. Ducks are not mammals. Therefore, <laughs> no mammaries. Therefore, yes. no boobies. But I Chickens really... have breasts, though. I really feel like they don't have mammary glands. This was the wrong choice. This was the first of a series of wrong choices. And it lets you know right away that this is not George Lucas Star Wars or anything that he's put out before. Could you imagine if there were Ewok boobies? Or any, yes. I mean, seriously. It's unimaginable that we'd be introduced to our, yeah, latest furry little Lucas creature, and the first thing we get is a booby shot. Like I mentioned earlier, my my parents had some reservations, because there's some kind of racy scenes. This is a PG movie, where I, I guess, I don't know, I wouldn't expect to see duck tits. In a Not PG-13? No, it's PG, but I know a lot of this stuff, you know, we'll talk about the bath scene too. I mean, there's some kind of racy stuff for a a PG movie that kind of seems like it's for kids because it's by Lucas and it's a talking duck. I mean, am I going to get upset if I find out my kids are looking at uh, drawings of naked ducks? No, but, you know, I I could see how it's kind of unsettling, especially for 86. I feel like this and Cool World are perhaps the biggest Trojan horses ever poisted upon children, where they are selling the idea that this is a family movie and then instantly pull the rug out and you find out that it's a very lewd and disgusting movie that children really shouldn't be watching. Except, I guess you guys, because you ate it up. I don't know. Again, it was hard to to find that at that age so we went with it but yeah it is a very strange thing now as an adult looking at it it's like why did they make that choice well you know what i would have liked that i mean this movie should have been racier i mean it just fits the character but there's no way i think again with lucas's name on there with the kind of character howard is i don't think it's something they could have done but that's kind of that's the world that this duck should be in you know and they stay there, really, and we're going to talk about it. But yeah, it's it sets the tone, and it's not like something out of place in the rest of this movie. It's fitting right in with the movie we get. Oh, no, no. It is it is the first note of a symphony of sleaziness. <laughs> <laughs> I, by the time he got to the bathhouse, that's when I was like, this is a sex club. This duck is in a sex club, and I I started covering the eyes of invisible children watching the movie with me because I didn't want anyone to see where this was going. Well, where Howard is going is Cleveland by way of an announcer's voice. All right, I, I'm going to ask you guys a question that's been with me for 25 years. 
This announcer is talking about the cosmos, and before there was time, there was Howard the Duck. Is that a play on something? And I just don't know. I thought they were kind of riffing off of 2001 because the way they bring about the Howard the Duck title looks very much like the monolith from 2001. So I thought maybe they're trying to play up with with Kubrick's film. You know what's funny is I thought he was going into the negative zone because it also looks like we're the... No, 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 no. That's a a 2001 joke, obviously. That monolith, that is a 2001 joke. But I want to point out, Kubrick never had any dumb voiceover in it. That The voiceover is because after showing us a world with ducks around, they still think that we're stupid enough not to understand what we just saw, so they have to tell us that it was a world just like ours, but with ducks around it. Jacob, I think you answered my question. The comic has always been about him going to Cleveland. Cleveland was not something made up for the movie because I would have laid money that that was something that the the movie had made up, that it it was a a comic set in a duck world and they brought it to Cleveland because it was going to be way too expensive to do it all duck. (laughs) Stuart, if if Hayek could have put this movie anywhere, he wouldn't have put it in Cleveland. But it's not Cleveland like this. This Cleveland, he he lands and, Stuart, we talked kind of during Friday the 13th Part 8 about how we envisioned big cities. As children living in small cities? Yes. Yes. I've been to Cleveland. It's not really New York (laughs) type city. Yeah, this came off way more like New York than Cleveland. Yes, yes. It was clearly New Why not make it New York? I don't I don't know. I guess cuz they were honoring the comic, but it, it was so clearly the club that's being played where the girl band is playing, it's clearly a, a nod to CBGBs and all the punks. Like I just uh it it's clearly New York City by way of the early 80s when it was, you know, the cesspool pre-Giuliani. Oh, by the way, the Cleveland is something else that every time we're in Ohio, I also quote from Howard the Duck. If I had somewhere to be, I wouldn't be in Cleveland. So why is Cleveland so skanky? I don't know. And what is up? I mean, it's just a barrage of stereotypes. You get the punks handing the duck to the dweeb, to the surly bouncer, to the lesbian biker gang. I love the lesbian biker gang. (laughs) What what were they? (laughs) Satan's mistresses or something? Satan's slut. Satan's slut. I... (laughs) That got a chuckle out of me. I'm like, oh, lesbian motorcyclist. This is awesome. Satanist lesbian yes. motorcyclist named Bear. You know, I, I mentioned American Splendor earlier, and that takes place in Cleveland. And that's always been my vision of Cleveland. So, yeah, this was a big shock to the system. Like, Harvey Pekar never mentioned Satan sluts or any of the roving punks. No, I don't know anything about Cleveland, and uh, I don't think the filmmakers did either. I mean, this is it's, – it's nauseating. I mean, I don't I don't know. You guys are going with it, but I, I literally just felt how can you How can you not enjoy a gang called Satan Sluts? That, that's all I'm saying. Again, watching this, I – as an adult, I kind of like the more racier parts. I wish they would have gotten more with that. I mean, it would have fit the character more. So I, I, I kind of got a smile out of some of these parts. I mean, I, I got no smile out of any of that. I mean, the jokes are all, you know, I'm a dead duck. You know, a joke so bad they only used it twice. I mean, it, it's, just, it's just, you know, no more Mr. Nice Duck. I know quack foo. It just, come on. He I does mean, know quack foo in the comic, though. That's that's his, like, one power is quack foo. But what is quack foo? He doesn't even use it here. <laughs> it's duck martial arts. Oh. I mean, I could I could put that together. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you the one joke that did get a laugh out of me. And that's when, like, they give the duck to 
the dweeb and the dweeb goes in and then the bouncer throws Howard out thinking it's a kid and the dweeb goes, wait, that's my date. <laughs> you know what, Arnie? <laughs> I am, I have got a lot of bile for this movie, but I will concede that made me chuckle as well. I did like that joke. That was the only joke in the whole movie that gave me a chuckle. I, I kid you not, is the only time I smiled, but that was funny. So I'm watching all of this, the first 10 minutes, and just the head-snapping whiplash of being on a duck world with duck titties, and then the <laughs> lesbian bikers, and the punk rock, and the bad music, and all I can think of at this point now, watching it now, is this is it. This is where Jar Jar comes from. <laughs> This is where the kingdom of the crystal skull resides. This is where Lucas went bad. It's the exact moment that he went from being the magical man who made all of our children fantasies into the man that raped our childhood. Right. This is it. I'll I'll give you this, Stuart. This is what taught me not to get hyped up about stuff. (laughs) totally excited for Howard the Duck as a nine-year-old child. I'm like, this is going to be the most awesome movie ever. And I walked out with utter disappointment. So I I, I could get what you're saying. I mean, this was the first time I had been. That Lucas broke your heart. Yeah. And then I'm like, wow, that was even as a nine-year-old. I I, know. I guess, Arnie, I didn't have the sophistication you had at 11. As a nine-year-old, I did not enjoy this film. I liked it then. Now, looking at it now. I think it's unfair to Howard to equate him to Crystal Skull. I really do. I, Are I, you kidding? No, Are you serious? I, I'm, I'm dead serious. I, do. I think this movie is at least as bad as that and probably much worse, actually. No. 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 To be settled another time when we do Indiana <laughs> Jones. I won't debate it now, but I strongly disagree with you. And I want to not be sure how much blame can be placed on Lucas. He did produce this, but he didn't write it the way that he penned the story for the others. And he didn't direct it. I always got the feeling he was fairly hands off here. So it's fun to poke the giant gorilla. But I don't know that you can really go, Lucas did this. I think you can kind of look at Hayek and... (laughs) say, well, perhaps he wasn't the world's greatest scribe. Perhaps the talent from American Graffiti wasn't him, but... No, I I actually disagree. I believe he... It looks like someone that was strong-armed into doing something he didn't want to do. I do know this much. Look at the people that didn't want to be involved in this. I mean, he came to, to John Landis, and John Landis had just killed somebody and ruined his career, and he still wouldn't direct this movie with a generous budget. It's got to tell you something. You got to work with the right people. They wanted to make this movie animated. They didn't get to make it the way they wanted to. They wanted to animate it. And how much more sense would it make if it was? Or at least how much more convincing would it be if it was? Case in point, two years later, what did we get? A noir cartoon live action crossover that was a huge hit. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Imagine if they had done Howard the Duck in that style. How much more easy to watch would it be? Well, part of that is that this duck costume is so quite obviously a costume that I'm never quite sure what I'm supposed to be seeing. Because at one point, cops try to find the zipper, and I'm like, so they see what we all see, right? It looks like a costume. (laughs) (laughs) But yet, at other times, they're like, it's a duck, man! And so it's like, okay, so are we supposed to suspend disbelief that this is a little person in a costume? Or is it supposed to look like a little person in a costume i don't know i've always been kind of confused 
with movies with anthropomorphic animals in them or ones that talk and and they're just kind of accepted i i'll admit i've seen alvin and the chipmunks and i've seen the squeak wool and, and, <laughs> and i thought i'd get made fun of the worst here yes. <laughs> both not recommended if you couldn't guess but no like if i saw a talking duck or talking chipmunks like i would be freaking out and like here they just don't react how real people i think would react to seeing this duck walking around unless it was supposed to look like someone in a costume i was just freaked out by his human eyes that just freaked me out how he had these like real human looking eyes yeah, but yeah, I don't know how we were supposed to take his look, if he's actually supposed to come off as a real looking duck or not. Yeah, and that's because they didn't go all the way with it. My feeling is you either make it totally animated and live action people are talking to an animated character, or you have an actor with duck makeup on and they're able to act through the makeup. But to have a guy in a duck suit, and sometimes it wasn't even a guy. Sometimes it was children. They literally put like a 12-year-old in this duck outfit. I'm like, you put a child in a duck outfit and shot in a sex club and had Leah Thompson get all over them? I'm like, how inappropriate. In the extra features, it's revealed that the children were dismissed pretty early because they weren't matching the mannerisms. It was mostly one guy. And Leah Thompson did say the sex scenes were far more comfortable with the adult little person than with the child. (laughs) Yes, because because making love to a duck is you're always more comfortable making love to a duck with a little person inside the suit instead of a child. I, I totally agree. With I vote Danny DeVito. I really wish they had gotten Danny DeVito, put him in some good makeup. And I mean, he's, you know, lewd and raunchy and short or <laughs> or Prince. What if Prince had done it? You know, he's short and plays guitar. And well, you know, you like to make fun of their height. But the little person who finally ended up playing Howard was at first dismissed for being too tall. He was three, four and they wanted somebody three, two or under. So so they were going for an actual duck size. They wanted it to be the size of a duck. What duck do you know that's three foot two inches, Stuart? I want to see that fucking duck. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Case proven. uh, My point is that why are you splitting hairs between three, four and three, one? I mean, why is that too tall? Uh, Ask the casting director. It's yeah, that confused to me make. too during the special features. I'm like, really two inches make that much of a difference. It's a bad looking suit either way. I don't know. If you wanted something skanky, short, and playing funk guitar, I think Prince is your man. And and hell, he was in Under the Cherry Moon the same summer. He wasn't in any better of a movie. In fact, I think this movie tied Under the Cherry Moon in the Razzies as the worst movie of 1986. Speaking of short, skanky, and playing funk guitar, Leah Thompson, fresh off Back (laughs) to the Future. Yes, another winning role for Leah. I gotta give Leah some props here for doing her own vocals on the songs. It's quite obviously her, and the special features confirm she's actually doing the singing. And when we're introduced to her, she's singing Hunger City, to which Howard has his montage of mayhem. Yeah, it wasn't incredibly polished musical performance, but it wasn't bad. I mean, they she gets away with it. She's as good as she needs to be. She didn't blow me away. But the story that I love about Howard the Duck is, did you know they originally were looking at real girl musicians to play this part? That Leah stepped in at the last minute and they were like, well, we'll go with her because of Back to the Future. But originally on Doc to play this part was both Tori Amos, which blows my mind, and Belinda Carlisle, who had just been coming out of the Go-Go's and was 20 pounds too heavy. Wow, I I would love to have seen Tori Amos in this. That would have been almost as good as Gwyneth Paltrow in Cool as Ice. 
Yeah, no, seriously. Well, she never would have had a career. You know, Tori Amos throughout the 90s was that, you know, singer-songwriter who dealt with the hard issues and was strange and esoteric. Well, if she had fucked a duck, it would have been all over. <laughs> there would have, no one would have ever listened to her, uh, not a note out of her face. And Belinda Carlisle, I mean, you know, ooh, baby, do you know what that's worth? Ooh, Howard is a duck on earth. It would, it, it would have ruined that song. <laughs> <laughs> so you know it wasn't belinda and phoebe cates was in the mix too uh, you know from fast times at richmond high and gremlins but i guess she figured she had enough delivering that santa monologue and they were like i just <laughs> i just can't fuck a duck <laughs> oh boy but you know I got to say, Leah didn't bring her A-game to this. I mean, perhaps it's hard to act opposite a child-slash-woman-slash-little person (laughs) in a duck outfit. But her line deliveries are all off in this. I I have some real trouble. I've seen a lot of her work. I watched most episodes of Caroline in the City. I've seen Back to the Future. She's done better. And I don't mean better movies. I mean better performances in movies. Well, everyone done better than this movie, though. I I agree. Tim Robbins is a fine actor in the right vehicle. This is the worst I've ever seen him. I don't I don't blame any actor in this at all. I I feel like they had an inexperienced director with an absurd script and a duck that wasn't working. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was originally a mechanical duck. And then they got rid of that and then hired the midget in the duck suit and had to refilm all the deducts. I mean, they probably at this point didn't even know if what they were going to do was even going to be in the movie. I, I would think that it would be absolutely no fun to show up on set. You sign up thinking you're going to make the next Star Wars and, you know, you get out hoping that no one ever sees this. Well, you know, blessing in disguise, Leah, because maybe no one will remember you're in this, or they'll think it was Elizabeth Shue, because you kind of looked the same. <laughs> and both were in Back to the Future 2 and 3. <laughs> That's true. Now, Leia's leaving the club at night alone, always the safest thing, and two junkies come out to rape her. Mm-hmm. Howard steps out, and one of the junkies says something. I gotta ask you guys what what he means. He goes, I've been doing too much toot. What the duck is toot? It's coke. It is coke? Yes. I've never heard it referred to as toot. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's because you weren't hanging out with me in Studio 54. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, this movie was uh, laying it on thick. I guess the thought was it would go over children's heads and that the adults would laugh along with them, that adults would find the scatological things funny and kids would just be entranced at, uh, you know, a new version of E.T. I, what, what is the thought? A dog from outer space is like E.T.? I don't, I don't know. Well, we'll never know. He's like a wisecracking E.T. with quack foo. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the adult references continue because they go back to Beverly's apartment. Howard falls asleep. And, of course, Beverly goes through his wallet. (laughs) Why wouldn't you? I mean, it's a duck asleep in your apartment. Mm -hmm. Maybe she just wasn't buying that it was a duck yet. (laughs) God knows the audience wasn't. (laughs) I know where you're going. The condom. The condom. After the mallard card and blooming ducks. I've carried condoms on my person before. Me too. I've had a wallet with an indentation ring. <laughs> yeah. You don't take them out of the pack until you're ready to use it. I did that. That I- is the most offensive part is the <laughs> fact that she's holding not a condom that would be put on a duck dick, but that it had already been used. That's what I was. Was it, it had already been used? 
<laughs> not. It was not used. It was still well rolled. I, I immediately thought it was a used condom. It was not used. It was there in case of emergency. Why it wasn't in a wrapper, I was going to ask you guys, did they always come wrapped? Maybe in Duck World, they don't do that. <laughs> and I mean, obviously, it would have to be unlubricated or the bills would get a little... Uh, oh, God. But... <laughs> As it is, I just didn't understand why it wasn't in a wrapper. I, I just really didn't need to know the general circumference of a duck penis. Because <laughs> you get a reference now, right? You know how big it is. Yes, you do. Um, all right, this this is the uh, elephant in the room or the duck in the room. We we got to talk about it. Let's talk about bestiality in the movies. We're watching a story about bestiality, right? Like that's what is now becomes. It's a love story about a human girl in love with a duck and willing to fornicate with said duck. Not just like kiss him, love him, et be good. Like I get, I get in bed with you, rub you, and your feathers on your head get erect. Like fairly graphic insinuations about sexual arousal. See, Stuart, my biggest problem was I just didn't buy why she was in love with them. You know, if they could have set up, why <laughs> they did? They had up? one piece of foreshadowing. She had a purse that was a duck and it quacked. So she <laughs> clearly had a thing for ducks. I could have gone with it. the beast. That was your character development. She liked that. I could have gone with the bestiality if it was actually uh, developed with the character, but it wasn't. It was just like, we want to put something real nasty in here. We're a human on duck sex scene. <laughs> you guys, I mean, maybe it's because I saw this movie at 11 and I was much more innocent, but I never was freaked out by it. I thought, well, you know, love has no bounds. And since he has a human-like soul... That's all that matters. They formed a connection. I mean, come on. If we were seeing human-on-human -human poorly developed romance, would you be arguing about it nearly as much as you are because he's a duck? No, of course not. I can but only in a PG movie? Right, <laughs> right. I, I can only think of two movies uh, of similar uh, all-audiences caliber where they invite us to think about different species having sex with one another. Planet of the Apes. <laughs> and King Kong, particularly Peter Jackson's King Kong, where she's clearly got a thing for the ape. And that line doesn't even feel like a whole break because at least they're simian, you know, at least <laughs> they're like part of our evolutionary Well, this, this duck was obviously a mammal of some kind. <laughs> yeah, the, the fact that it's actually a bird. No, I that's I, I felt like something break there. Like if it had been a little monkey, if it had been a space chimp. Maybe, you know, maybe, <laughs> and I'm not saying definitely, but maybe she could have had sex with the space chimp, but a space duck. For some no. reason, I am more repulsed by the thought of a chimp than the duck. <laughs> I'm right there with you, Arnie. <laughs> <laughs> That's just even grosser. But uh, here's the problem. And um, all right, since we're all talking about this, I guess I could say this and not sound like too much of a perv. When I was looking at the condom and thinking about the circumference, I'm like, well, is that enough to pleasure a woman? Could Beverly really enjoy it? Where was yeah. it? You didn't have pants on. Really Where small. was it? Where was it? You couldn't even see it. It's very alarming. No, he did have pants on. The, he doesn't in the comic. He does have pants on the whole movie here. Does he really? Yeah, just yeah. the tail pokes out the back. Okay. I mean, I'm trying to think. Did the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles ever have a thing for April? They yeah. certainly never screwed her. But they, <laughs> they, they, there was like a romance, right? Yeah, they were hot for April. 
but she wasn't hot for them, right? Like, how weird and upsetting would it be if she turned around and, like... Well, yeah, because they're underage. They're teenage. That would have to be Jeffrey Jones in the role, then, interested in the teenage turtles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's just upsetting. I was going to say that the most upsetting 80s sex scenario ever presented to children would have been Mannequin, where the guy was having sex with the mannequin. But at least that was PG-13. At least it was PG-13 and consensual. Where, like, well, the, this I is guess, consensual. <laughs> oh, I guess you're right. I'm just I don't know. Howard seemed really nervous. Well, yeah. let me he, ask you he guys. He was more against it than Beverly was. Let me ask you guys this, because I read the comic adaptation and the novelization. In both of those is something not in the movie, and they're both almost verbatim the movie. It makes me wonder if there's a cut scene. During the sex scene between Beverly and Howard, and Beverly's like all into it, and Howard, first of all, Howard was the one who suggested it at first. I don't know exactly what game he was playing there. Right. But. It ended in both the book and the comic with her going, I was just kidding. You actually fell for that. But they did not show that in the movie. Mm -mm. No, it looked like it would have gone there. (laughs) He got cold feet, but had it not been interrupted by Tim Robbins and Jeffrey Jones and the other scientist dude, the mind reels at what we could have been watching. (laughs) So would it have been better for you, Stuart, using the most revolted would it have been better for you if beverly had kept her i was just kidding and i was i was ducking with you no because you get that you get that from the movie itself you get the sense that she's like oh you think you're such a stud well i'm going to turn the tables on you and you'll get nervous and you can tell that her tongue is somewhat in cheek as she's doing it but by the end of the movie they are a couple they are banging that is <laughs> we don't know. It could be a very chaste relationship. They could be, you know, life partners who are asexual. Okay. Now, let me let me ask you this, though. Am I the only one who really liked the sex scene between Leia Thompson and Howard? And not just because Leia Thompson is hot and really toned, but I thought the way she played it, I said she didn't bring her A-game. That scene, she was perfect in. Her little glances, the way she was a little coy and playful. And... Her little glances? What about her little panties? I mean, that's what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm I mean, not. I, I am not. I swear to you. I never <laughs> thought about Leia Thompson as being like a sex kitten. I always thought of her as sort of a girl next door type. But in that scene where she got in the bed with those panties, I was like, holy damn. <laughs> I can't believe I am watching this. In a PG movie. And she's hot, too. She really is. But I am dead serious. I am taking myself out of the testosterone-fueled rage I was having at that moment to say she turned in a great performance. She's doing a sex scene with a duck, and she pulls it off. She makes it fun. I found a connection between them, and it was all on her. It's not on the puppet. She sold that scene to me. And it's not her panties. It's her eyes. How much did she sell it for? She put it on my bill. (laughs) Uh, Touche. All right. Uh, No, the scene didn't work for me. I felt bad for her. I felt bad for everyone. I feel bad for the world that Howard the Duck is here. Jacob, I need you to come down on this one then. I need you to be the tiebreaker. I'm just going to say, yeah, I, I felt a little bit hot and heavy during her performance. I agree with you, Arnie. I thought she pulled it off. This is one of the, as gross as, as the scenes or the implications of the scene are, I thought she was convincing. I thought she was ready to do a duck at that moment. But in more than that, I thought 
not only was she ready to do a duck, but I, I got her playfulness and I, I got that, you know, her performance made me really okay with it and made me wish a little bit I was a duck. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm right there with you, Arnie. <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with you, Arnie. <laughs> I love it! <laughs> But the sex scene comes after a couple other things. We get introduced to Tim Robbins. Yeah. No, he's no Christopher Lloyd here, I gotta say. <laughs> and he's trying to be. He really is. I am surprised he went on to do anything, really. <laughs> Bull Durham was one year away. It's like all the people that got out of this alive already had another gig in the bag. It's like Jeffrey Jones was in Ferris Bueller the same summer this came out. Thank God for him, or he would be, you know, where he is right now. <laughs> if Jeffrey Jones lives near you, you know it. <laughs> Yes, I believe there are phone applications that can tell you if he's within 20 feet of a playground. But anyway, <laughs> Jeffrey Jones is an entertaining character actor, whatever. It makes that school bus scene at the end of Ferris Bueller much, much worse. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I'm not weighing in on how guilty or Jeffrey Jones is an amusing character actor and what yeah, he was great in Beetlejuice. My point is, is that these people that got out probably wouldn't have gotten out if they didn't have something else already lined up. Leia's problem is that the thing she had lined up after fucking a duck was fucking Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> well, she had a couple Back to the Future movies in there, too. Yeah, the bad ones. <laughs> yes, you can hear our <laughs> reviews at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Uh, so we have that, and then... All right, this is the scene that I didn't buy. As much as I bought their sex scene, I didn't buy the fight between Howard and Beverly. It didn't ring true to me, you know? It's like, why would Howard blame Beverly so much for Tim Robbins being a douche? And that whole fight of, I have problems of my own, you know, it it, it seemed very forced. Yeah, I wasn't buying the love story at this point either. I, why did she even know Phil? Why would she know anybody that works at a museum? It was dropped once, and, and actually said twice, Phil dated the guitarist of Cherry Bomb, who's played by Holly Robinson. Oh, yeah, from 21 Jump Street. Yes, well, to go on to 21 Jump Street out of here, yes. Cherry yes. Bomb actually has two actresses I know. There's also a Seagal twin is the drummer. Steven Seagal's twin? <laughs> no, uh, Seagal's twin. You know Katie Seagal from Married with Children? Yeah. She hey. has two twin sisters who were on that TV show Double Trouble, and they were also in Grease 2. Oh, Double Trouble. Yeah. Liz Seagal was the drummer for Cherry Bomb. Hmm. Well, who would have known? I recognized her right off, but I had a thing for the twins in Double Trouble, so I might have. What can I say? Cherry Bomb gets me hot. All of them. <laughs> Cherry Bomb, I got to say that this is a rip on the Runaways, right? They just had that biopic about them anyway. It, it was a girl group in the 70s that had Lita Ford and Joan Jett. The Runaways, their big song was Cherry Bomb. That was their their only hit. Yeah, it had to be a reference to that. And I got to, you know, I didn't get that in the 80s. I got that now. And I got to give them credit for referencing an all-girl group. I mean, they could have named it something like Satan Sluts. Yeah. What, would it have been better if it was Joan Jett and Lita Ford in this? No. Well, not unless you had Tori Amos with him. <laughs> Almost. Only by a casting misstep did that not happen. So after the fight, Howard goes to get a job. Hmm. 
you know, I really was loving this as a kid. As an adult, I'm like, nobody at the entire unemployment office had a problem with a duck with no social security number. That's your problem with this scene? My problem with this scene is he tries to bite her ass. (laughs) But she deserved it. I thought it was because he was turned on. No, he was angry. Oh, he was trying to hurt her? Yeah. Yeah. I thought he was into it. I didn't know what was going on at this point. (laughs) Baby got back. How would I to know? (laughs) (laughs) So then Howard gets a job. She she decides that he is wearing a duck outfit to get out of going to work. You know, like she's seen it all at the unemployment office and thinks he's just another freeloader. So she's going to get him good by giving him as a, a job as a towel boy in a sex club. A hot tub fever where he's apparently referred by the unemployment agency as the water expert. <laughs> oh, my God. It's unclean. This movie is unholy at this point. I want to get an STD vaccination because this movie is giving me something. Or at least we know Howard had protection. (laughs) Why does that not make me feel better? (laughs) So this is a bathhouse, right? Yes. This is a sex club. Where are the gay guys? Well, not all bathhouses are are gay. They're not in San Francisco. They're in, where are they? Cleveland. Cleveland. Yes, Cleveland. They were a little slow on the uptake of that. Now, I was surprised at the human nudity in the scene because I've been watching this, I mentioned, on VHS a hundred times. This was my second time seeing it widescreen since 86. There's a lot of almost nipple in the scene. A lot of, like, we see every part of the boob except the nipple. This scene is probably the most shocking of the whole thing. Like, I literally gasped when they went there because I didn't remember it. I remembered the duck titty. I remembered maybe the condom. I remembered the general unpleasant tone of the movie. I did not remember them going here. And I I can't believe that Universal Studios put out this movie in the summer knowing children were going to go see it. I just I can't believe that. I guess George Lucas was infallible. They just were not going to challenge it. Truthfully, this is a scene that could have been cut and it wouldn't have impacted the movie at all. It has no bearing on the plot, quote unquote, of this movie. It is completely there for comedic value. And had somebody objected, the MPAA, Universal, anybody, it could have been cut. Why wasn't it? This this is the second scene that I remember. Besides duck titties, it was this scene. And it was pretty shocking watching it this time. Like you said, Arnie, this is the first time I've seen it. The widescreen and all that since I saw it in the films. And yeah, how did this get a PG rating? Is it because Lucas was involved? Uh, maybe they just thought that it was a health club. I don't know how. <laughs> but maybe I mean, they, those they NBA gave, people are really square. Really, They gave the original Star Wars a PG rating. For, it went from G to PG because they had Uncle Owen and Amparoo's skeleton. And that was enough to give it a PG. But a sex club can't move it up to a PG-13 at least? I gotta say, there used to be a time when you could get human boobs in a PG movie. Things have changed. The pendulum has swung far more conservative on ratings in the 90s and the new millennium. I think back then this was your edgier side of PG. Definitely. And I agree with you that, yes, you could do a little bit of female nudity in a PG movie. Usually it was non-sexual, though. It was like a flasher. Or something like that you mm-hmm. know, or or like a benny hill joke like i said a woman in a bathtub being surprised that kind of thing but this 
is a sex club. There is no other way to look at this scene and not understand that he is now toweling up the remains of people fornicating. <laughs> My wife had a big problem with this scene. <laughs> <laughs> Just the germ factor. Yes, it's unclean. Yes. It is an unclean scene. She- <laughs> Is this the tone that Howard was in the comic? I've got to wonder, is this a holdover from the racier 70s version? Let me guess that it isn't, because I know about the Comic Code Authority. There's no way they would have let this fly, did they? No, even in the 70s, you couldn't get away. I mean, it loosened up the Comic Code Authority in the 70s, where you could have, like, vampires and werewolves and man-things, because horror characters were a big no-no in the 50s. 70s it loosened up, but no, there's no way you could get away with this. I don't even remember a lot of sexuality in the comic between Beverly and Howard. Yeah, they would sleep in the same bed, and I remember that was like one of the scandals that came up when Howard ran for president for the all-night party. But much tamer than this movie was. But no, I I mean, it wasn't this edgy at all. It was a Marvel comic. This wasn't an underground comic like uh, the stuff by Robert Crumb. This was still very much in the Marvel universe. You would not be able to... I mean, even today, some of the stuff would be pushing boundaries in a mainstream Marvel comic. Yes, you'll see it in comics today. It's still, I don't know if you could get away with bestiality in a mainstream Marvel comic, though. Well, you know, I did check Wiki. Beverly and Howard are now married. So there you have it. I think they did. Children? No children. I I know they've had incestual relationships in the Marvel universe between uh, Magneto's kids. So perhaps, perhaps it's okay. Oh, boy. I haven't gotten to those yet. So he suddenly realizes that hot tub fever is worse than watching Cherry Bomb in concert. So he goes back to the club. Yeah. Which makes you wonder why they even had this extraneous subplot to begin with. They don't spend enough time apart to justify taking them apart. They should have spent more time with Cherry Bomb in general. I was confused because the way I remembered this movie, it was about a duck who started a rock and roll band. But Cherry Bomb is barely in this. Yeah, I don't know why you'd remember the movie that way. That that, <laughs> that sounds like an episode of DuckTales. I can tell you why. <laughs> I can tell you why, actually. Because the thing that stuck with me was the song. Well, and yes, yes. The music video. And uh, that was, I remember Howard and the girls singing Howard the Duck. And so I just thought that this was a big part of the movie. But it's really not. No, no. And... I think these scenes were there because, again, I've not read the comic as much as Jacob have. I've read one issue, but from what Wikipedia tells me, it's kind of the irreverent day in the life of a duck kind of social commentary satire thing. And so this was probably more along the lines of true to the comic type stuff than that's what I'm assuming than what we get with the Dark Overlord. Right. I don't know why they needed the Dark Overlord. I feel like him trying to make... His place on Earth was enough to the fact that they had to bring in monsters from a demon galaxy, not even something from his own duck world, but something from an entirely different world. It makes me wonder, what are these scientists doing? What is this device meant to do? (laughs) It's supposed to like measure the density of gases in star (laughs) nebulas. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Jacob, was the first half more like the comic than the second half or? I mean, the the comic would still have its weird villains. They were untraditional villains. You would meet Spider-Man and they'd hang out. It was very much, again, subversive to the whole traditional superhero thing. But they had a lot of the mundane stuff, too. I mean, Beverly was uh, like a supermodel. So it'd be them going around trying to get photo shoot gigs and stuff like that so they could survive. So it was a mixture of the two. What does Howard the Duck and Spider-Man do together? They banter. They just talk. <laughs> they- this, yes. this, 
the one issue I read, they fought somebody together. Yeah, I mean, they they fought probably some stupid, you know, cannibal gingerbread man or or something like that again. Because he's got quack food. That's how he fights yes. people. That, okay, I'm like, how does he? How does the duck get involved? Okay, got it. And a lot of it is, you know, he's in a world that he never made, which I don't get what that means. I don't either. I'm not in a world I made. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's a dig on Lucas. No, it's from the comic. And, and oh. that's, yeah, I don't know. It, it's a weird mixture of the mundane and of action hero stuff, but being on the sillier side. I got to say, I was waiting for something to happen in this movie. If, if they were going to do the mundane thing of Howard finding his place in the world. Uh, they were doing it really poorly. I was waiting for some kind of action by this point because we've seen, you know, Howard trying to get a job and being made fun of because he looks like a little kid in a duck suit. And that's fine if they wanted to go with that, but they did that really poorly. So I was ready for some type of action scene at this point. Then we get right to that. We get introduced to Jeffrey Jones. And so we know bad things are afoot. <laughs> you do notice when the, he goes into Beverly's apartment, he does ask where your pants are, which just seemed really weird coming from Jeffrey Jones, knowing you know, what's happening. <laughs> he is walking among us, right? Like, he's not in jail, right? He was on the special features being interviewed about the movie, so he was free in 08. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's the laser that's supposed to measure gases and analyze the cosmos and here's one thing that bothers me is that they say some unknown force redirected the laser to howard's planet so is it the force i mean this is a george lucas movie is it fate is it the dark overlord because the second time again some mysterious force changes the laser and it brings down the dark overlord what's this mysterious force doing is it the voice from the beginning maybe it was kubrick's monolith I mean, that, that's the whole point of the monolith in 2001 is that it ensures life thrives. So maybe that this is like uh, the cut scenes of what Kubrick really wanted to do with 2001. Oh, gag me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I think they missed a real opportunity. If I could actually bring us back to, you know, I don't know, good storytelling. Wouldn't it have been much better rather than bringing in some random demon from some world that we have no idea or whatever? They had actually brought a character that was causing Howard grief in his own world. Wouldn't that make more sense? Like his boss, his boss, the girlfriend that he gets a postcard from something else. Another character that is tied back to that opening scene. You, you wanted another duck suit in this film. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <Stuart>? <laughs> How about a mallard? Yeah, well, okay, fair enough. But what we get is a dark overlord. And I don't know, as a kid, I was all about it. I, I didn't question it. Stuart, you make perfect sense with what you're saying. By the same token, it's equally plausible that the same door through which Howard came, something evil came. It didn't have to be from Duck World. No, all right, let me just call it out. After Lucas has been done ripping off E.T. and whatever else he thought was hilarious, he's ripping off Ghostbusters. Who are you going to call? Ivan Reitman, because <laughs> he stole Zool. <laughs> I thought you were going to go with Alien. 
because no. it's, a, it's a creature that grows inside of you and then well that, that, that may be but i'm not blaming that I, you know aliens an influential movie but i don't want it anywhere near this this is a <laughs> ghostbusters ripoff the way jeffrey jones gets possessed and goes around and starts making the disaster at the diner that's exactly like the refrigerator bit and sigourney weaver and even the dogs the gargoyles from that look like the dark overlords it's just so blatant and i just felt like ghostbusters is what not even two years old and you're ripping it off already how like we can't see this it's one thing for lucas to go back and reference flash gordon and whatever else he did to create the movies he's beloved for but it's another thing to rip off your friends in movies they made last summer i mean <laughs> how lazy you know to give you some credit Stuart, the author of the novelization also calls out the ghostbusters reference it actually says that the dark overlord's voice was like zool's in that ostensibly comedy film ghostbusters <laughs> Nice. And you said the book was worse. I like this author. <laughs> I recommend the book. I didn't even read it. <laughs> That's why you recommend the book. <laughs> Try to get past page 20. I had trouble. Yeah, I didn't see it then, but I loved Ghostbusters, which may have been why I went with this story so much as a kid. Yeah, it's clearly a Ghostbusters bit. And, you know, everyone steals from everyone. I could get past it if they had done it well. But I found Jeffrey Jones in this to be really awful. Really? Just obnoxious. I like him in this. I really do. I think that, all right, uh, I'll say right now, the special effects in this movie are terrible. Terrible. Okay. But I think the makeup effects and the performance by Jeffrey Jones sell this character to me. And that's why six years later, he was my go-to reference on an ink block. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm... I'm siding with Arnie again. I like Jones's performance in this. It's over the top. I'm waiting to have fun in this film. I don't expect this to be a, a serious drama and exploration of humanity or whatever the equivalence for ducks is. So I, I started to enjoy this because he, he's so over the top with his voice. And I agree with you, too, Arnie, with the makeup, the way he, you know, it progresses and he gets worse and worse. At least at, there's something to grasp onto and kind of enjoy at this point. At least it's not Howard mopping up human uh Seat Please. Anymore. Yes. Yeah, I got that. Yeah. <laughs> if that's your comparative, then yes, give the man an Oscar because I don't have to think about Howard mopping up C. Now, let's call it out, though. This is 50 minutes into the movie that the Dark Overlord arrives, and it's, you know, an hour and 50 minutes. So we spent half the movie with Howard's duck out of water tail, and the second hour is the Dark Overlord. So it's a very bifurcated movie. And it's not even really a smooth transition. It's duck out of water, and then boom, all of a sudden we're in this sci-fi aliens invading the world movie. Not a whole lot of transition between the two. But I really enjoy the first hour of this film i do the second hour is when the puns really start to grate on me because it's like as soon as the dark overlord shows up and they're in the car chase every line out of howard and beverly's mouth is just a terrible terrible joke and they're not even just duck jokes like book him ducko but it's like there's something growing inside of me you must have had the chili you know, it's just these terrible, awful jokes. And I'm trying to think of other movies like this. The only one I could come up with that was as bad as the second half of Howard the Duck is Arnold Schwarzenegger and Batman and Robin. Mm, well, I guess we'll have to revisit that. I only saw that movie once and it, I was in the, another room and would pop my head in every now and then and go, ha ha, he's playing a refrigerator. And that's really all I remember. You're not putting me in the cooler. <laughs> 
<laughs> I remember that line. I do remember that. You know, I, I think the difference between this and Batman and Robin is that this has a duck. When we do Batman, <laughs> but no, I, I think Batman and Robin was obviously an homage to this Batman '66 with Adam West, and it was supposed to be bad. This, I, I think, they thought this was funny. I, I don't think they had their tongue in cheek during this, like they Arnold did in Batman and Robin. Yeah, it wasn't meant to be subversive. They weren't trying. Well, it was with the sexual content, but I don't feel like the humor was trying to be clever or 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 have different levels. It was. You're right. It was a lot of gags being thrown up at once, and you know, for a while we're hanging out with a girl group, and we'll make a lot of raunch jokes, and then when we got space monsters falling down, it'll be about that. I found the disorganization of this to not be endearing at all. You mentioned Douglas Adams. There's an author that I feel like that can spin the absurd, or or Kurt Vonnegut, or something like that. That you know, in a word or two, can go off on tangents and come back again, and it can be delightful. This movie is just a fucking mess. So they, they're driving away, and we get Jeffrey Jones telling us what's happening to him. That didn't work for me, where he's like, something is inside me replicating all my organs. How do you know this? How, I know you're a scientist and all, but how do you know your organs are being replicated? It was a bad case of overtell. Wait, Artie, this is the thing that bothered you? <laughs> this, is, this is the moment where I, I was willing to go with a duck and dark overlords and all that. But the fact that Jeffrey Jones feels that he has a second heart inside of him, that's where I draw the line. No, it, it didn't help that it was surrounded by such lines as an evil is inside me gnawing at me from the inside. And the reply is, what did you have for lunch? Or a great danger has landed. Yeah, when you're out on the highway. These were bad. The whole scene was just actually terrible. Yeah, no, that part I won't argue with. What I'm wondering is what was the good part that this was distracting you from? <laughs> I mean, this oh, this whole thing is like a really bad joke. Like, it's like a guy walks into a bar with a duck. Like, like a million jokes start <laughs> this way. They never end in a Cajun sushi joint, but they start this way. I had sushi tonight for dinner. I did not have Cajun sushi. Was that an 80s thing or was it something made up? I, I, I'm honestly again asking. Oh, you don't know? Like, no. This would never happen, ever. Even in L.A., a town replete with fusion restaurants, no one has ever thought that putting Cajun seasonings in sushi was the right choice. <laughs> and they, they serve fried eggs as the special. So what kind of Cajun sushi is it? <laughs> I think they were trying to think of the most gross food they could because I want to remind you, everyone eats sushi now. You can find it in any supermarket. But back in the 1980s, that was like, oh, my God, raw fish. That's the most disgusting thing you could even think of eating. And I'm not sure why it's a popular hangout for truck drivers and rednecks i wouldn't have thought of them as sushi lovers but so be it i, I remember sushi being the butt of a lot of jokes on 80s movies mm -hmm. so yeah. but, but I, i'm gonna be honest i actually kind of like this scene it, this is where it started to kind of feel like the comic book like the elements of the comic book that i like just this absurdity between this weird fusion of cajun food and sushi I, I didn't like the whole scene. I'm, I'm not saying it's a great scene, but there's some moments in it that I like where Jeffrey Jones is the dark overlords giving this big speech, how he's going to take over the world and Howard and Beverly kind of just roll their eyes. I thought it was a great, again, a subversion of the whole superhero thing where the superhero stops evil and they're like, yeah, whatever. This guy's just kind of crazy. I, I really wish more of the film felt like this diner scene because th there are some moments here that really worked for me. I think you're right. I liked some of the action in the scene when it gets going. 
But man, some of the jokes, one of the jokes I I did laugh at, which is when they're about to eat Howard and Leia Thompson goes, you're just going to sit there. And the Dark Overlord goes, she took my eggs. That that got a chuckle out of me. But so much of this is just terrible. Like the end of the world is coming. Is he a televangelist? You know, it was just, oh, God, it was just such groaner after groaner after groaner. Yeah, it was people with no sense of humor that thought bad jokes were funny because if they nudge you in the ribs, then you'll laugh. No, I'll wince in pain. And when the Dark Overlord finally starts hauling it out and kicking ass, I was going with the scene. But I find it all very strange that there's, the again, a three foot two duck and everybody's just really ready to eat him, including the chef. The chef is more into it than anybody. He's like, well, you know, the Japanese were the butt of a lot of jokes because I think we were a little nervous about how they were kind of moving in on our territory. And there are a lot of movies from gung ho and what have you where, you know, the crazy Japanese guy who, you know, was a samurai and ate raw fish. I just thought that, you know, here was just another blazing stereotype. You guys notice the, the, all the Pepsi product placement around here? I didn't. Yeah. Did no, it? How did yeah. you miss that? I don't know. Pepsi's everywhere. I got to think, even Coke, it was having like the worst year of its life with the new Coke formula. Like, they got to be glad that they did, they dodged this bullet. This isn't a case of like E.T. where M&M's <laughs> didn't get in and Reese's Pieces win. This is like Coke. I'll, you know what? I'll take new Coke formula over Howard the Duck promoting my product. So, Jacob, what I'm hearing is you found this more interesting now that a real plot, a concrete plot is kicking in. I actually had the opposite effect. Or maybe it was just I had grown weary. I wanted this movie over. I was very tired at this point. And all of the aimless wandering around, the going to the nuclear power plant, all of this just felt so tangential and and get me there please do something it was aggravating i got to agree why did they introduce his hunger for power if that's not his weakness is he runs out of power what was the whole point of the power that's another scene that could have been cut we didn't need to know that he needed to re-energize his batteries and that never plays a part where he's trying to zap someone and he runs out of power the only thing I can think of is it's a movie in the 80s. Ergo, we are absolutely contractually required to somehow reference nuclear power in some way. Because I think every 80s movie had nuclear weapons or nuclear power or in some ways addressed the fact uh, of a nuclear device. And they do make a reference to like Three Mile Island. And yeah. And Stuart, I'm not saying that I thought the second half of the film was gangbusters. <laughs> no, I, I know. I'm you, you saying I'm glad something started happening in it. I'm saying it's Ghostbusters, but hey. (laughs) What what I'm saying is the first half, there's nothing there to keep my interest. So at least things were getting zapped, which, you know, appeals to my 12-year-old self. So at least it was appealing to some part of me as opposed to appealing to no part of me during the first half, except that hot Leia Thompson uh, bestiality scene. I think I would have preferred Howard hanging out with the chicks still over this, which is to say that I liked the first half better is not to say that I liked it, just that I felt like a duck out of water story was more entertaining than a cribbing of Ghostbusters. Where do you stand on this, Arnie? Is it getting better or worse? Holding about level for me, honestly. I I like both halves equally for different reasons. The first half, I felt more of the jokes worked. It had a greater hit ratio with the humor. The second half, at least had something going on with the story. I think it it picked the right moment to change that direction because, yeah, right at the end of the 
hot tub fever. I'm just starting to go, all right, even though I've seen this movie a hundred times, I know where it's going. I'm like, when is it getting there again? And it gets there right about the time I start to, the first half starts to wear on me. So no, I, I don't have a distinct preference between the two. I, I kind of have nostalgia for both equally, just in different ways. Okay. Fair enough. I will say this, that we at least get the most competent scene in the second half, which would be the ultralight plane sequence. It's the only time in the movie where I actually felt like it was made by semi-professionals. Everything else serious? about this movie. Oh, absolutely. Most of this movie, the way it's shot, the way that it's edited, most of the performances, it just feels sloppy. But the plane thing at least feels rote. It feels familiar. It feels like... A million other movies from the 80s that I've seen before. And, and I guess was, that was my problem is, is like, just cut it. I don't need to see some bad chasing that I have seen in a million other 80s movies. I want to point out it was mostly filmed by second unit director Joe Johnston, who would go on to film this summer's um, Captain America. <clears throat> oh, <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. Yes, I, I hope that he can do as well with, with Cap. So maybe there will be a Howard cameo <laughs> after all. I'm moist in anticipation. Oh. You know, this was the only time it felt like Ohio to me is when they're buzzing the duck hunters in the swamp. That's the Midwest, yes. Mm -hmm. Rubes in a pond, that's the Midwest, that is true. I I totally agree with you. It felt like we were finally in a real world as opposed to some crazy hopped up fantasy about what Cleveland would be if it were in the mind of a 12 year old that had never been to Cleveland. Because really, they're out in the country somewhere. I don't even think Aerodyne's in Cleveland. It's got to be in a suburb somewhere because they're out in a field. It actually it looks flat and boring. So, yeah, I'll buy that's Ohio. Mm hmm. I've driven it. So can we get to the end? Yes. Please. Not that I don't want to spend another hour talking about him, how hilarious it is that he's hiding out in kitty land. <laughs> it reminded me of Pee Wee's Big Adventure. So they go and get a bunch of gobbledygook, a neutron disintegrator, and the nexus of Somnibus and Somnus, uh, Somnex. Um... Isn't that stuff that makes you sleep? <laughs> yes, Somnex is a, it's, it's, it's like night hall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here we get a scene, and this is such a common trope, and I've come to hate it in films, when you have an actor portraying an evil person throughout the movie, and at the very end they change into a CGI monstrosity, or in this case, a badly matted puppet. Did you hate it in Ghostbusters? It was Ghostbusters the one that did that? Because really, in Ghostbusters, it hasn't... I guess it has kind of been Sigourney Weaver, hasn't it, in Ghostbusters? Yes, uh, not kind of, definitely. Well, look, that was... Zool, whereas wasn't it Gozer who was the Marshmallow Man? That was a, you know, a different evil, right? What? I, I haven't seen Ghostbusters in quite a while, but... All right, what, what are you trying to clear up? What I'm trying to say is, was it a common trope back then for your actor to portray evil until the very last scene when it becomes a big effect? Or was Howard the Duck one of the first? Now, I do know, yes, Ghostbusters had a giant monster, but... Yeah, Rick Moranis and Sigourney Weaver turn into the dog people. It shows that transformation in it. They don't do anything. They don't attack the <laughs> Ghostbusters. That's the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. But I'm thinking more along the lines of, like, Gary Oldman in Lost in Space. I'm thinking about Nick Nolte in Ang Lee's Hulk. I'm thinking about a million movies. Uh, Edgar in Men in Black, where for 95% of the movie, it's a person. And the last scene, it becomes a giant CGI puppet. 
That is a convention I feel like I've seen all my life. And I'd have I would to say, not- though, that Howard is one of the earlier ones. I mean, just not looking at how great the special effects are, but just where the technology was. Sure, you didn't see it a lot in the 70s. Well, maybe our listeners can tell us if there's been a lot of this just cliche, because I now hate it when you have a good actor portraying a character, and then for the big showdown, you take that actor away and replace him with something else. I mean, I guess it kind of happened to Wilford Brimley in The Thing, but... would I mean, would you really have enjoyed the movie if it was a fist fight between Howard doing Quack Fu and Jeffrey Jones? Yeah, actually, I think I would have preferred that a little bit more to The Neutron Disintegrator. Okay. My other question is, they're having no problem driving that little go-kart with the Neutron Disintegrator ray gun. And then later it won't start, and Tim Robbins gets the wonderfully delivered, try the seatbelt, Howard, sounding like Emo Phillips. They never had to fasten the seatbelt for it to go before. Did I miss something with that, or was that just a glaring mistake? Well, Arnie, here's the bigger problem in, during this ending scene, is the whole reason Jeffrey Jones kidnaps Beverly is because the Dark Overlords need a host body to grow in. But at the end, you just see the Dark Overlords coming with no host bodies to go in. So where was the danger? Where was the suspense? They're going to land there? I think where the Dark Overlord had frozen the two people was close enough. Because it's not like there was somebody strapped to the table when the first Dark Overlord around. Well, there are three Dark Overlords, though, and only two of them. And a duck. Well, Howard wasn't frozen, though. True, true. Well, I guess one of the Dark Overlords dies on arrival. I mean, this whole ending with the cart and and just, you know, when you don't follow the rules, I don't care how bad the rules are. You got to follow them. I I don't even remember how Tim Robbins got out of his handcuffs. Like, he just shows up and his handcuffs are gone. Like, I don't know if I missed a scene, but like this whole ending, it's like, dude, we got to make our release date. Let's just hurry up. The attention to detail is lacking throughout the entire movie. And I don't know whether it's because the directors were so inexperienced or in over their head or whether it was just a rotten concept from the word go. Did it fall apart? Was it ever held together? It's hard to say. But no, I'm not enjoying this ending. If if that's what you're asking. No, it's awful. You weren't won over by the Dark Overlord special effects. I mean, that didn't remind you of all the great scenes from Star Wars. It was slightly better than the Rancor, but almost <laughs> as bad. It was like Howard the Duck was at a drive-in movie. <laughs> I was waiting for Bubo to fly in. It's total Clash of the Titans, Ray Harryhausen. <laughs> but I'm not going to knock the movie because it did stop motion effects. Crap. At this point, I don't care what it is. Kill it and move on. Anyone else get ripped off that Jennings lived? Because he's like, earlier in the movie, he goes, I'm dead. Yes, you are. And then at the end, he's like, oh, I'm fine. Here, have a have a buzzsaw. Cut off a tongue. Maybe I wasn't paying attention anymore, but I didn't even notice. Yeah, was he alive? Was, was, he at, was he at the big concert at the end? He wasn't at the <laughs> concert, but he tossed Howard a buzzsaw to cut the puppet tongue with. I don't even remember any of this. Honestly, this movie is fading back into the darkness where I want it to keep forever. All I can tell you is there was a lot of special effects, a lot of noise, a lot of stop motion, and then all of a sudden, musical number. I love this song. I, I'll tell you guys. No. I, I I mentioned on our Nightmare on Elm Street 4 podcast how much I spent for that soundtrack on eBay. I spent more for the Howard the Duck <laughs> CD. I spent $75 for an original printing of the Howard the Duck on CD. And now I'm not even sure when I got it if it is an original printing. I don't even know if there were CDs back in 86, at least for Howard the Duck. But come on, you get Thomas Dolby and George Clinton and you got a hit. 
even with Leah Thompson on vocals. I love this song. I'm going to give a little bit more props to George Clinton. George Clinton is a wonderful funk artist who, in, with Funkadelic and Parliament, had a lot of great hits. Thomas Dolby had She Blinded Me With Science. That's and true. However, a lot of this song was Dolby. The making of has a whole thing on the music, and he created, like, the duck synthesizer sound, the wah, 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 That's all Dolby. Uh, uh, you know what? But I got to believe that, you know, George Clinton wrote Atomic Dog. Tell me that he couldn't, like, in his sleep, you know, fart out Howard the Duck. <laughs> he, the man just exudes funk. He can pull this jam out. If if Thomas Dolby was so good, why is every other musical number in this movie so bad? kind of like some of them. Hunger City? Well, Hunger City was, yeah, pretty good, actually, for an 80s soundtrack. I have a thing for 80s soundtracks. I probably have a collection of 80s soundtracks that would make your mind real. But, yeah, I, I, I kind of like it. Yeah. I kind of liked Hunger City, too. I always like kind of really bad faux punk music in 80s films, just because it, it's supposed to be punk, and it's so not. But it's <laughs> yeah. inter- I, I just enjoy uh, what people's impression of punk rock was back then. And I really have to question at that bar where there's chicken wire separating the band from the crowd why are they playing hunger city and that sappy ass ballad but that's always the case i mean you know yes you see rockers they put on a tough image but at the end of the day i mean look at uh, that's the case of pop music in general look at boy george i mean so out there but he didn't play at a bar behind chicken wire i'm saying you needed motley crew in their early days behind chicken wire at this bar you did not Home Sweet Home was not exactly a tough song. That wasn't from their early days either. What about early Guns N' Roses? Of course, this is all L.A. stuff, not really New York, Cleveland. Cleveland, But (laughs) It's not Huey Lewis in the news. Right. But again, you don't have bars with chicken wire protecting the bands either. Yeah. It it seemed like a bad musical choice for that crowd. Like they wouldn't really be grooving to Hunger City. The writer of the music wasn't talking to the set designer, who probably wasn't talking to the director, who wasn't talking to the actor, who wasn't talking to. I mean, you get the point, right? I mean, there's so much miscommunication here. When I found out that they had to film the duck. Without having cast the voice actor yet, I was like, well, of course. That's why they went with this flat voice choice of the guy voicing Howard, who's not very good. He's not really anything. But they had already filmed scenes with with a duck with no personality. How can you have an actor like, who did they talk about? Martin Short or John Cusack coming in and bringing their oversized personality to the role? It wouldn't have worked. This is a whole bunch of miscommunication. And I blame one man. Hayek? You just, I'm going to flat out state, I think you have a bias against Lucas by laying this at his webbed feet. I don't feel it is unfair to put him in charge of this movie. This is a Lucas movie. And if you don't believe me, go watch Kingdom of the Crystal Skull again. The, the fingerprints are all over it. And as far as the voice goes, I always kind of liked this voice. And watching it this time, I kind of felt it sounded a little Steve Buscemi. I didn't get that at all. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I, I, I kind of like that it was a, a flat, surly tone to it. I mean, I don't know if I'd want a, a over-the-top voice actor doing Howard. I mean, the whole thing was is, is that he's a duck, but you're not supposed to think of him as a duck. And so to have this cartoonish type voice, I think uh, it wouldn't have worked for me. I certainly would not have liked this movie as a child or an adult if it was Martin Short. <laughs> what does that mean? I mean, I know the type of voice he would do. It would be like Jiminy Glick the Duck, and I would not want that. 
Okay, well. But yes, I do love this end number, even though, you know, having Phil Z as the pyrotechnics guy is like telling me, since I'm a computer programmer, I'm the guy to go to for a laser light show in 3D. I love it when movies just have generic scientists. I just know everything. But yeah, the song rocks, and I, I listen to it often on my iPod. Arnie, Arnie, Arnie. I know. <laughs> I just disagree. Like this is where the movie becomes really, really bad for me. Was during this ending scene, though. Well, it's only got the what two minutes left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was it. Whole, this is where it fell apart. Howard, I mean, I didn't need to see any of this. I, as bad as this film was, I wasn't ready for it to get this bad. And, and watching him do the moonwalk or whatever that backwards hop was, I didn't need to see any of that. This does have the only cringeworthy moment for me of the entire movie, though. <laughs> It's I, I I know I get through this whole movie without cringing until Howard the Duck's playing the guitar with his bill and to try to mimic it, poor Leah Thompson puts the guitar up to her face and rubs it around her face. And I'm just like, I feel so bad for her as a human being at that moment. <laughs> you didn't have a problem when they go backstage and are about to make out. She sold that scene. again. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well. She might have sold the scene, but she also sold out at that point. She didn't really work again, at least not in the movies. The writer-director team never worked again on anything that I could tell. So the two careers killed, Leah Thompson saddled, Jeffrey Jones and Tim Robbins and Holly Robinson, fortunate enough to have other gigs lined up. Everyone else shuttled off to nowhere. Here's the funniest one. Frank Price, the head of Universal Studios, the man that fought to get the rights to this and get it made was shit canned. This is a man that had been with Universal since Jaws and he was shit canned because of Howard the Duck. It won the Razzie for worst movie, worst screenplay, worst new star, worst visual effects. And I got to say, deserves every one of those accolades. Well, and here's another thing. There's something I don't think you'll find on any internet source. I actually got this from a book, if anyone remembers what those are. Uh, called Destroy All Movies, the guide to punks on film. And so, of course, it talks about Howard the Duck. And a lot of countries wanted to hide the fact that Howard was a duck. In Spain, it was called, in Spanish, Howard, a new hero in Italy, Howard and the destiny of the world. I mean, a lot of countries were trying to hide the fact that right. this movie was bad. Yeah, well, good luck with that. I mean, and this is this is a huge flop. I mean, I think at the time that it was made, it was the most expensive movie ever greenlit. $36 million budget, and that sounds like chicken feed now, but I'm pretty sure in 1986 that would have been the, the most expensive movie of all time. I, I don't think so. Not, none of my trivia or anything said anything about that now. Well, I can tell you this. Batman broke the barrier with $40 million in 1989. No, no picture had gone over $40 million. It's certainly one of the most expensive bombs ever. No yes. doubt about that. And to only gross $10 million back on $36 million, yeah, everyone's fired. Everyone screwed up. It, 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 Howard the Duck became synonymous with a box office turkey, at least until Ishtar came out, and then they breathe a sigh of relief. But up until that point, it was just known. If you want to talk about the worst movie ever made, it's Howard the Duck. I say that is somewhat unfair. I really do. I think that, did this movie live up to the hype? Obviously not, both in box office. <laughs> no, I don't think it did. <laughs> but I don't know that necessarily saying that with such dreck out there, even at this point, to call this the 
one of the worst movies ever made. It's not fair. I mean, I think it's in the running. I was trying to think of a movie in the 80s that I found more distasteful. I could come up with two. Garbage Pail Kids? No, I actually like Garbage Pail Kids better than this. But you know what? Howard could almost be an honorary Garbage Pail Kid. He they they looks... actually had a duck Garbage Pail Kid. In... <laughs> exactly. Like, it was the, he could sit right next to the crocodile one. No, two. Uh, it was it was called Little Monsters. It was Howie oh. Mandel. I know that one. Yeah, yeah. And Fred Savage. That one, and then a movie called Second Sight, in which Balky and John Larroquette with magical psychic powers are the only two that literally made me feel sick more than watching this movie. Popeye. <laughs> yeah. I never made it through Popeye. I mean, there's so many terrible, terrible movies. Were any the glorious spectacle and the wonderful go-to reference of Howard the Duck? Not necessarily, because people love Schattenfraud, and Lucas falling was tremendous at the time. But well, it is quite a fall. <laughs> but that said, if it had been anybody else, if it had been Spielberg, if it had been anyone, uh, they would have received the same treatment for this movie. Because it is such a betrayal of what people thought they were getting. They thought they were going to get a, a fantasy film from people they knew and liked and trusted. And what they got was a vulgar, inept, amateurish duck joke that went on for 90 minutes. Yeah, but if this film was done by a bunch of nobodies, it did, if it didn't have Lucas's name, no one would have even brought this whole up. Is it the worst movie ever? I mean, I think it's totally because the expectations people had at the time. Me sitting down and watching this now... Like, I didn't feel the disappointment I did as a nine-year-old kid. I'm like, it's not a good film. It's not the worst movie I've ever seen. No, not nearly. I mean, God, I'm, I'm trying to think. Like, it's not even as bad as, like, The Gate and The Wraith and some other 80s films I've seen. Uh, Flash Gordon. I tried to rewatch Flash Gordon the other day. I couldn't. This is better than Flash Gordon. So, I, know where, I don't know where you're going to go with this, Stuart. <laughs> Stuart Jacob, do you recommend? Howard the Duck. Huh. I want to just backtrack, and I mean, everyone knows I don't. I think I just called it one of the worst movies of the 80s. I just want to backtrack and say, I know what it's like to champion a bad 80s film. And so rather than talk about and rehash everything that I just said about Howard the Duck, I'm just going to say, I love the movie Golden Child. I know it's a name. It's ridiculous. There's a gratuitous special effects. There's wild mood swings. It jumps between horror and comedy and vulgarity all the time. And yet I'm still entertained. And it's another movie where the bad guy turns into a puppet creature at the end. <laughs> sure. I'm still entertained by the movie. I still enjoy it. So I do have the potential and the ability to enjoy something like Howard the Duck if it had been as good as Golden Child. Howard the Duck is an ugly, joyless affair. It is truly one of the worst movies of the 80s. I won't say of all time, but representing that aesthetic and that decade, it is absolutely one of the worst. A horrible, horrible time. Definite not recommend. And a horrible way to kick off the longest series I've ever been involved in. Great, Marvel. <laughs> it's only, only, only going up from here. Jacob? Yeah, I mean, not recommended. I, I, I think that's pretty easy to tell. My thing is, though, I don't think it deserves the reputation it has. Is it a bad movie? Yeah, I, I enjoy bad movies. I, there's something I, I get a certain joy out of watching an awful movie. This isn't one of those really bad movies that I could enjoy, though. It's just I think we called it rote earlier. That's how it feels. It just they had no idea what they were doing 
with this film. I, I think there's potentially a really good film here. It's an R-rated one. It, it's a subversive one. It's not something for kids. Like I said, if they do a Howard the Duck remake, I, I'd be open to it if they do it right. I, I think there's potential there. But this film here, no, I'm not. Of course, I'm not going to recommend it. I had to think, you know, long and hard before I watched the movie. I wasn't sure how I would be. But when I was watching the movie this time, yeah, I have a lot of nostalgia for this movie. I hold it very dear because I've seen it so many times in my, what would now be referred to as my tween years. And I had some jokes in here that got chuckles out of me. That said, I've watched it twice now on DVD and both times I had the same experience. I wanted it to be over. I did. I found myself initially enthralled with the nostalgia and some of the jokes. But right around the time of the Cajun Sushi, about an hour into the movie, I've had my fill of duck. And by the end, I'm just overly stuffed. I think there is some fun to be had here, and I think Stuart's gone off on hyperbole, as he is wont to do from time to time. But... (laughs) I, I think there are far worse 80s films, some of the Police Academy sequels, for Christ's sake, Grease 2, but that doesn't make this a good film. And while I will watch it again in the future, I can't recommend anybody else do so. <laughs> the worst movie I, I'll ever watch 40 times. <laughs> Hundreds of times, get it right. <laughs> You're right. You've seen it more than 40 times. Jesus, Arnie. I hope whatever you got, they can bottle and Dominatrix can sell it. Because, man, the abuse that you can take is just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jacob, Stewart, thank you for joining me for Howard the Duck. And I look forward to many, many more movies in this series. I mean, we're going to be getting this summer to X-Men, and we're going to be looking at some that don't have an immediate future, like Fantastic Four, starring Captain America Chris Evans, and we get closer to Halloween Blade. And don't forget, over at Marvelicious Toys, not only can you hear my review of Howard the Duck the novel, (laughs) (laughs) we're reviewing all sorts of turkeys over there, because Stuart Marjorie and I reviewed more Marvel with Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. I guess we're now Broadwaying. Oh, yes. And that's a good one. You guys will definitely need to go over in here. Everyone in the world knows that Spider-Man has made his way to the Great White Way, is singing and dancing to U2 songs, and we all saw it. So uh, that's all I'm going to say for now. You need to hear what we have to say. You can hear our review of Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark on our March 7th episode of Marvelicious Toys at MarveliciousToys.com. But first, we still have to go through our Marvel Misfits I know, I'm looking forward to Swamp Thing. Man Thing. Man Thing. Wait, what? Man Man Thing. thing. Not the Wes Craven Swamp Thing. Did you watch the wrong movie? I thought that this didn't have Heather Locklear in it. No, no, this had a bunch of Australians in it and a giant tentacle creature. I'm just looking forward to making lots of penis jokes with the movie named Man Thing. (laughs) How could we not? So we'll be back to talk about my man thing next week. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to visit us at nowplayingpodcast.com where you can hear our reviews of other movie series, including Friday the 13th, Halloween, Predator, The Karate Kid, Star Trek, and more, as well as you guys did another comic book movie, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. We have Tron, a whole lot more, all in our archives at nowplayingpodcast.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, where we do movie mini-reviews of films that are coming out 
right now and films we're seeing on TV and DVD. So you can find links to that from NowPlayingPodcast.com. And while you're at NowPlayingPodcast.com, head over to the forums and give us feedback on the shows. Tell us which Marvel movies you're looking forward to us getting to and which ones you're not. Let us know what you think of Howard the Duck. There's a link from NowPlayingPodcast.com. And also at NowPlayingPodcast.com, at the very bottom of our homepage, is a little button saying donate if you'd like to support our show. We don't have any yes! sponsors. <laughs> I want money. I want He's gone a lot through of his money. supply of gummy bears. <laughs> I need so much to get me through this because this is awful. <laughs> with the fucking duck. <laughs> so yes, you can donate to the show to help keep now playing on the air. We'll be back next week. Thank you guys. It's closing time. Thank you for listening to Now Playing's Marvel Misfits Retrospective Series, part of our Marvel Comics movie series. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we continue looking at our Marvel Misfits, Howard the Duck, Man-Thing, and Kick-Ass. They don't actually read comics. You can find other Now Playing Retrospective series, such as Star Trek, Terminator, Predator, Philip K. Dick, Tron, and many more at our website. Go to NowPlayingPodcast.com and click the archives link to find those series, as well as individual movie reviews such as Avatar, Inception, and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Oh, child, you always knock me for a loop. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss the Marvel movie films with other listeners. There's no idea as to who is behind the broadcast of this show, but we could see widespread server crashes. You can also follow Now Playing at Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. How do I get a hold of you? You just contact the mayor's office. He has a special signal that shines in the sky. It's in the shape of a giant cock. Links to our social media pages are at nowplayingpodcast.com. I feel much better. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. We appreciate your cooperation. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. The link to our Cafe Press store is available at our homepage. Any questions? Yeah. Where are my pants? Now Playing's Marvel Comic Book Misfits series is edited by Arnie. I'm way over my head. Now Playing is not affiliated with Marvel Enterprises, Universal Pictures, Lionsgate Films, or Artisan Entertainment. The Marvel characters and all of the Marvel Universe contains is the intellectual property and trademark of Marvel Publishing Incorporated, and no infringement is intended. They get the point, Benning! Now Playing is a Venganza Media Production, copyright 2011, all rights reserved. Show's over, motherfuckers. never get to see your play duck or any duck titties like you do at the beginning oh of this. my god <laughs> it's a pg was, film you know i don't want to let's get to that we'll get to the titty we'll get to the titty. <laughs> no 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 we'll, we'll get to it now no no we're, let's talk about the comic let's we'll get to the titty <laughs> oh it's gonna be hours talking about that <laughs> but <laughs>
And when he picks up the play duck and opens the centerfold and there is not a naked duck, I had a weird like, huh? moment like i couldn't i couldn't understand what had just happened i thought something had been edited out because i knew i knew this movie had a, di- a duck titty shot in it. i don't know what you saw there was nipple in the version yeah, i saw there was. in the play in the play duck it was not in the play duck it was in our play duck it wasn't mine because i paused and uh yeah had to blow some steam off <laughs> <laughs> But the line in the beginning, there was Howard the Duck. Is that a play off anything, or is it just uh, that's the, what the, the Bible? The Bible. <laughs> well, <laughs> you heard of that, yes? Yeah, I mean, all right, all right. <laughs> While you were worshiping the Dark Overlord, did you ever flip back to the first part? <laughs> all right, all right. So it's so it's the Bible, okay. <laughs> You know, she goes from making love with her son to making love with a duck. It's it's appropriate. <laughs> That's true. You're right. She never did have a conventional sex scene, did she? <laughs> not until her movie with Andrew Dice Clay. I'm not oh. kidding. She made one. <laughs> if you're making love to Andrew Dice Clay, there's nothing conventional about that. <laughs> oh! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ooh, baby, do you know what that's worth? Ooh, Howard is a duck on earth. It would it, it would have ruined that song. You, yeah. <laughs> you wrote have that, that ahead song. of time, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I might have, yeah. <laughs> that was just too good. Because <laughs> I'm like trying to riff along with you about Duck yeah. World or something. No, you had it perfect. <laughs> oh, anyway. <laughs> During the sex scene between Beverly and Donald and Donald's Donald. (laughs) (laughs) Edit that out or Disney will sue you and own this podcast. (laughs) Her performance made me really okay with it and made me wish a little bit I was a duck. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with (laughs) Promise me you won't edit that out of the podcast. I won't as long as Jacob re-records his line saying he's right there with me. I'm, I'm right there with you, Arnie. All right, it's in the show. <laughs> I love it! Best show ever. Okay. And you were hoping you didn't want to do this. <laughs> I can't wait for the sex scenes in Man Thing. <laughs> this is awesome. Uh, I can't. I guess they're not all going to be this uh, this raunchy, probably. <laughs> what can I say? Cherry Bomb gets me hot. All of them. <laughs> Holly Robinson, give me a call. You lost the apprentice. <laughs> I'll be your apprentice. Call me up. <laughs> <laughs> you even got the comb over. Oh! <laughs> Why'd you do Andrew Dice Clay? <laughs> I just felt like it was time. <laughs> <laughs> My problem with this scene is he tries to bite her ass. <laughs> but she deserved it. I thought I like it was because he was turned on. No, he was angry. <laughs> oh, he was trying to hurt her? Yeah. yeah. I thought he was into it. I didn't know what was going on at this point. <laughs> Baby got back. How would I to know? <laughs> you know <and> I- <laughs> Oh, I 
need to judge his he rule. Can I keep it round and juicy? <laughs> Can I keep it? A baby got bad reference when talking about a large black woman. <laughs> Or is it this racist? This podcast is so off limits. It's not even funny. If we don't, why don't we just say some shit about Obama and now everyone can be offended? <laughs> <laughs> you got any Sarah Palin jokes? I mean, why don't we just piss everybody off? At least I've been calling up little people, not midgets. <laughs> <laughs> we got the Bible in here, George Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know who's happy right now is is fucking um uh what's her name Nancy from the, from right on the up she's like I got out easy. <laughs> <laughs> shooting for yeah, maybe i'll make this an extended cut available later on to people yeah <laughs> the unrated howard the duck edit okay so then we, after he gets the trap, i still need to know can i leave it the baby got back i don't know <laughs> you can leave it in <laughs> they'll only know that she's a large black woman if they've seen the film right. and chances are they have it and that's what Sir Mix-a-Lot was talking about. He likes them round and juicy. That's how he wants it. But she wasn't little in the middle. So maybe it wasn't quite up to Mix-a-Lot standards. Actually, it's hard to tell because she had such a large ass and such large tits that the, the dress just kind of hung like curtains. It's hard I'm to so tell. glad we're objectifying this woman. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, she was a gospel singer that had some kind of storied career and wound up in this movie. <laughs> I, I really wished one of you would say you were trapped in a podcast you never made. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a very bifurcated movie. Bifurcated? Oh, yeah. It, it feels like two different films. I guess I just define <laughs> bifurcated. No, but it, it very much does. Did this movie live up to the hype? Obviously not. Both in box office. <laughs> well, Lisa Gibbons. <laughs> no, I don't think it did. I don't know why you call me Lisa Gibbons. <laughs> because it doesn't live up to the hype. She's just one of those hype spin masters for, or spin meisters for, for movies. I just, you know, it's funny. No, it didn't live up to the hype. <laughs> Stuart Brock, do you recommend Jacob? Jacob, Jacob. <laughs> no, Brock was a smart one that didn't get on this fad series. Oh, look, a typical hairless ape. My whole, my favorite line in the whole movie, the one I still quote to this day. You and Arnie apparently loved yeah, you, that line. <laughs> loved that line. Cast.com, where you can hear. Here reviews wretched of- <laughs> movies. Yes, being discussed at length, just like Howard the Duck. You can hear our reviews of other movie series, including Friday the Thirteenth, Halloween, and Predator. Why would I want to say movies we haven't done? I'm sitting here like Robocop, <laughs> Alien. Yeah, that's on Duck World, where we're actually seeing good movies. <laughs> 
God, I have actually. I loved- sure did love Breeders <laughs> of the Lost Stork. <laughs> you recommend Breeders of the Lost? I don't know Stork? about the Kingdom of the Crystal Gull, but. <laughs> <laughs> 